בכבוד. השם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, good to be in Aventura again, ברוך השם, lots going on, you know, we are uh, continuing to learn more and more on Rosh, on Chodesh uh, Elul, and uh, as the Pasuk says, or as the Chazal say, Abali Tael Masin Biyado, someone that comes to become purified, Hashem gives him a hand, Hashem gives him a hand. Babali Tameh, someone who, who tries to become impure, meaning someone that's looking for excuses, Putchim Lo, they open the door for him. Why they open the door for him? In essence, they're telling you, listen, you're looking for excuses, you don't need our help, you'll find plenty on your own. Don't let the door hit you in behind. So, someone asked uh, about a few days ago about people that um, see certain things that Chazal say, and um, they make up excuses. They say, listen, if it says that Shabbat is, uh, its weight is against all of the mitzvot, so I'll just keep Shabbat, and I'll have to keep anything else. I could be with a Goya, I could not have to keep any of the holidays, I could uh, eat taref, I could do this, I could do that, I could do this. This is someone that is trying to look for excuses, and that's also one of the, one of the questions we're going to ask, if there's such a thing. But uh, as we always uh, do, Baruch Hashem, over these last uh, month or so, we start our lecture, this is, I believe, number 59, and we start with your questions. So, Bezrat Hashem, Hashem will provide us the answers. So, this is one of the questions that someone asked. Um, we'll call it excuses. Okay, question number two. Who had a question? You had a question. Nothing is related to anything. That's the beauty of it. It's all Hashem, and somehow we have to connect it to Parashat Shavuak, Parashat Kititze, to Mishnah Dalet Dalet, which is uh, Rabbi Levitas Ben Yavne. He's going to tell us some things. Somehow it all has to, has to be connected. How? It's Hashem's business, not our business. We just come here and we preach what Hashem gives us to say. So nothing's connected. Go. However, since I grew up learning Hebrew and English at the same time, okay. I speak I Svaradi. So when I daven, I I daven Svaradi, and I and so that's how I understand it. So I want to understand as best I can, mm-hmm. and I repeat it that way because I want to understand as best I can. So in that way, I I so that's the way I daven, that's the way I read Hebrew, and I. Okay, so Tachlis of the question is if you pronounce or mispronounce the Hebrew words, is it considered a prayer or limut Torah at all, meaning if you pronounce the words, uh, for example, the uh, Ashkenazim have uh, the, the letter T, Taf, Taf is S, is Saf, uh, so if you pronounce it that way, or if you pronounce it like the Yemenites pronounce uh, certain words, 
which is, for example, Ein, we say Ein, they say Ein. Or Kuf, they say Kuf. Okay? So the question is, if you pronounce it a different way than what's in the Makom that you're in, or you just mispronounce it, does it still count? Does it still count? Okay, pronunciation of Hebrew language. Next. Go. All questions, guys. Nothing is related, nothing is connected except what Hashem is going to tell us to say. Ken. Okay, so Shabbat, Shabbat forgives all sins. Okay. Okay, well, you have one. Let's go for the next one. Well, hold on. Yes, see if other people go. We have to. Well, you already asked one, so we have to get turns. Betzalel. Betzalel got the wisdom. Betzalel got the wisdom to create the world. You know that, right? I told you in Gemara. Betzalel. If someone's a Kohen, and he's not religious, Miskin. Miskin, she's not religious also. Okay. Oh, a coin is married to a Goya? No, the son is divorced from a family that's not religious. Ken? Okay. How does that affect his status as a coin? Pasul. Not allowed to be with a Goya, but I mean, he's a, uh, even if she converts, he's not allowed to be with her. So, I mean, it's a uh, the, the the parents obviously have their own problems. They're going to suffer for themselves and for the son of and, and for the sins of the son. Uh, and the son Hashem Yachem is in a uh, in a relationship that he must break with or without tshuva. With or without tshuva. So, I mean, the question is: Is did I answer it already, or is there more more uh, coin married to a goya? To goya, okay. Next. Simcha, you had some questions. So I have to convince you guys to ask the questions too. You guys want me to ask the questions and you answer? I got questions for you guys. If you want to make sure that your maaser is correct, how do you do it? You have a better question that you asked me on text. I was excited to give you an answer. Okay. Okay. So that's a better question. Okay. Question is: uh, Since Ham, the son of Noah, was cursed, we'll talk about why he was cursed. Son, son of Noah, Ham was cursed, and the Chazal say from him all of the dark people came as a sign that they're uh, connected to him to some extent. So does that mean one that uh, all black people are cursed? Two, what if they convert? Are they still cursed? And three, you asked, you asked also during the text, is, is uh, does Chazal, do the sages view someone being black as negative? As something negative, as something to be frowned upon? So we'll just call this question black people. And whether it's... Uh, uh, a question that has answers or we're going to play politically correct and say, no, no, everything's okay, Hashem loves you. The answer is beautiful, actually.
Uh, we already learned the answer, so I have the answer. This is one I cheated on a little bit. I already have the answer. But uh, since you didn't ask the question, it was good that I studied for the answer. So now I have to give it. No, uh, wait, who didn't ask a question? Everybody else knows the rest of the Torah. Okay, so the guys who don't know anything, let's go. You go ahead. You asked, you had another question. Yeah. No? Remember, um, last week at Elmer's house, we, we had that beautiful kiddush about the letters. Ken. Right? But we know that before Babel, before we were exiled to Babel, mm-hmm. we had different letters. The letters were looked a bit different than those letters that we had in Babel, what they call the paleo Hebrew letters. So how did those letters... Ashuri, Ashuri script was the, uh, was the original script, but they all looked in essence the same as far as the overall look of the alphabet was the same. What you're talking about is the one that looks like hieroglyphics. Right, they're like we're on the Ten Commandments when Moshe Yeah, I mean, there's a debate. There's a debate, there's a debate, of, there's a debate of whether it was uh, something like what you're talking about, which looks more like a, uh, a, a version of hieroglyphics, like the Egyptian script. Um, or it's the Hebrew alphabet, like the Ashur uh, script. There's a debate between the two, which one is which one uh, came first, and so on. But in essence, the connection itself is endless, sim- simply because Hashem created them, and Hashem created them. Hashem created both. Same thing, for example, you can say that uh, the Shem Hashem, the Yud Kei Vav Kei, the Shem Hashem. One of the one of the ways that um, we know in when you use gematria is uh, 26 is a significant number. The number 26 is a significant number. Why? Because the uh, name of Hashem, the Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey, equals 26. Yud is 10. Hey is 5. Vav is 6. That's so 21. Another, and Hey is 5. So that's 26. So you could say, oh, wow, this 26 is great. But you also know that if you do the numerical value of the word God in English, it's also 26. You understand? So... Just like Hashem created the world before we were here, He created the world after we were here too. And He recreates the world every single day. So as far as the connections, the connections that we uh, see, it's, it's again, Hashem already thought about all of these things that we could ever invent before we even were a thought in our great-great-great-grandparents' mind. Uh, next question. Go. Uh, will the Ark of the Covenant... I have it in my house. Ark of Covenant. Covenant. Where is it? No, I mean, Ark of Covenant, I mean, it's a simple instance. It's only going to be in the Beit HaMikdash. Only Beit HaMikdash. Um, no? You had another one? You guys are rocking today. Today we have like 10 questions. Rabbi Yeshua, this okay, so you're, 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 you're about Rabbi Akiva, okay. Rabbi Zitron is Tadik. Okay, it's a Gemara. Yeah, so that's a Gemara. So, Rabbi Akiva, was he born to be great? Could he have had a choice not to be great and not marry Rachel and continue being a shepherd? Okay. Lama though. Because Hashem already told it to Moses before they went in the land that Rabbi Akiva was born and he had no free choice. He had to be a big rabbi. That's according to our understanding. It's not what it's a good question. Rabbi Akiva, predestined. Destined for greatness. Question. Oh, wigs. 
Wigs and Mashiach. Wigs and Mashiach. Okay. All right. So, any other critical? No. Uh-huh. Was, um, not Rashi's description of Avraham Avinu? Of the Egyptians. Okay. It's one of the most beautiful women in the world. What happened? Right. Okay, so Egyptians... Before and after Yosef. Okay. Tedo. Any other critical questions? Yeah. Okay. Why why is the outlook for this generation, this time, for everyone to look for out and leniency instead of It's not just a generation, it's the beginning of the world. Yeah, but it seems to excuses. called the Yitzharah, but we'll expand on that. So the first question, the last question, are the same. It's excuses. And then there's about a dozen questions in between. Give us the answers, somehow connecting all of this and uh, answering all of the questions that we have and uh, doing tshuva alongside it. Or with it, through it. So, we are in Mishnah Avot Dalit, Dalit, 4-4, uh, and it's a very, very short Mishnah with critical message. Rabbi Levitas Ish Yavne Omer, Me'od me'od heves fal ruach, Shetikvat enosh rima. Rabbi Levitas of Yavne says, Be exceedingly humble in spirit, for the anticipated end of mortal man is worms. This is the beginning to the end of the Mishnah. It's a very simple, very short Mishnah. So Rabbi Levitas, Chazal teaches us that he was Ish Yavne. What does it mean, Ish Yavne? Because as we always do, we have to learn who we're, who we're talking about before we decide whether we're going to listen to them or not. So Rabbi Levitas, when it says Ish Yavne, it means he was the leader of the sages in Yavne. If you remember last week in Shu, we uh, said the story that's mentioned in the Gemara where Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai was uh, trying to see if he could save Am Yisrael, Bet Mikdash, something, whatever he can save from the evil Romans. So he snuck out of Yerushalayim, you know, pretended like he was dead and he was being buried by his students and he went to meet um, Vespasian, Vespasian, the, the Roman Caesar, and he says to him, I think in Hebrew it's uh, Andrianus, but in English it's Vespasian. And he says to Vespasian, Hello, Your Highness, the King. So Vespasian says to him, You deserve two death penalties. Two death penalties. One, I'm not the King. He says, yes, you are the king. He goes, I'm not the king. And they argue back and forth, you are the king, you're not the king. And he says, how do you know I'm the king? Why do you think I'm the king? 
Because it says in our Torah that anyone that's going to take down Jerusalem must be a king. It cannot be a simple person. It cannot be an idiot. It cannot be a regular person. It must be someone that Hashem gave him special schut, special merits in Shemaim to destroy Jerusalem. He says, yes, but I'm just a general. And as they're arguing back and forth, a bunch of horses come with the messenger saying, Your Highness, the uh, king in Rome just uh, killed himself, committed suicide, and uh, they all elected for you to be the king. And they request that you come back home and run the country. He put his, uh, his son, Titus, in charge, and he went back home. But before that, he says he was very impressed by Rabban Yochanan. In essence, he thought this is a prophecy. Didn't think, you know, didn't know that such a thing existed that someone can tell you what you are before you even know it. So he says to Rabban Yochanan, yeah, but you still deserve a death penalty. Why you deserve a death penalty anyway? He says, because if you knew I was king, I've been here for three years. I've been surrounding Yerushalayim for three years, trying to get in. If you knew I was king, where were you until now? Why'd you wait till now to finally come give me respect? Come try to make peace. Come try to save something. So Rabban Yochanan said to him that, you know, the Birionim, which was the, that day's uh, Zionists, uh, did not allow anyone to come in or come out and ha- were so fanatic in their message that they literally starved the people. They starved the people uh, to death just to make sure that their message is delivered and no one leaves no one leaves uh, Yerushalayim. And as a matter of fact, in a book, Echa, uh, Lamentations, chapter 4, verse 8, it actually mentions that the people from starvation became kushim, became black. Became black. So why is it? Uh, so somebody that doesn't eat becomes African-American? I haven't eaten since yesterday. So far, so good. I'm still the same uh, color I was yesterday. Maybe, I, listen, if I don't eat for a week, if I can become uh, black, that'd be great. My wife will feel new. Hey, listen, brand new. Brand new in the box. What does it mean, Kushim? What does it mean? So from here we learn, Chazal explains to us that uh, Kushi is not, in essence, talking about the black people. It's talking about the, the color black. It's not talking about black people, in essence, people that live in Africa or people that come from different parts of the Middle East. It's talking about, in essence, the color black that is, goes, it becomes a part of your complexion as a result of sickness, as a result of starvation. In essence, it's a form of ugliness as a result of something happening to you. Chas shalom, it does not mean that black people are ugly. It's quite frankly, their thought of anyone thinking that the Chazal or Shemit Barach that created everyone and everything thinks that uh, that black people are ugly is by far one of the dumbest things that anyone could ever think simply because why would Hashem create something that He Himself thinks is ugly? This would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. So obviously here we, the, we, we need to dig deeper and it's good, Baruch Hashem, that some people are looking for the truth so they ask questions. So all the questions are appropriate, all the questions are very, very good to know because unfortunately, people can live 70, 80 years in their life thinking that the Torah is racist. 
People can live 70, 80 years thinking they're allowed to drive on Shabbat. See, people can live 70, 80 years thinking that some idiot that uh, got hung on a cross 2,000 years ago, if he ever lived Bichlal, is God that killed himself. So God came in and he killed himself. What kind of God is that? Commit suicide. So people make, you know, errors. But the beautiful th- part about it is, as Chazal says, someone that comes to become purified, meaning someone that's looking for the truth, Hashem gives him a hand. Hashem gives him a hand. So in the very same story of Rabban Yochanan, we already have one answer uh, to one of the questions, which in essence, when it talks about Chiyu, it's reference, referencing the color black, because color black is an indication of different things in the world, in Hashem's creation, that when they go bad. Now, another proof to this is, as a matter of fact, the Zohar Kadosh talks about how there are Jews in all four corners of the world. Hashem specifically, through the punishment of sending Am Yisrael to the four corners of the world, He gave us a reward too. Even through the punishment, He gave us a reward. So He said one of the reasons why He sent Am Yisrael to all four corners of the world is because in the Messianic times, one of the missions of the Jews is going to be to convert the truth seekers, to convert the ones that want to come to me and have wanted to come to me 3,300 years ago but couldn't because they were part of the nations that didn't want to accept the Torah, but they themselves wanted. Their neshama 3,300 years ago wanted to accept the Torah. So Hashem said, listen, I can't give you the Torah by yourself, but I promise you that I'll bring you back in a reincarnation at some point and put you in an unusual circumstance where you will be uh, able to convert. So one of the missions that Hashem did, one of the things that Hashem did, is He sent the Jews to the four corners of the world, and the Gemara, and also the Zohar Kadosh, both say it in a couple of different places, that one of the missions is for Jews to convert people that are looking for the truth. So now, if a uh, white Ashkenazi uh, Russian guy comes to the middle of Africa, or the middle of Yemen, or the middle of some other place, uh, middle of China and starts telling people, hey, listen, you know, God is this, God is this, God is that. And he looks so different from them. Even though some people are going to buy into it, for the most part, people don't connect to someone that looks so different from them. People connect to their own kind. That's just a reality. People like to do business with their own kind. People like to marry their own kind. People like to hang out with their own kind. That's just because they feel more comfortable. They feel more at home. The Yemenites want to be with the Yemenites, the Moroccans want to be with the Moroccans, the Ashkenazis want to be with Ashkenazi, and so on and so forth. This chas v'shalom is not, does not mean that you shouldn't uh, be associated and involved in other people's lives, but in general, as a, common, as a common mentality among the world, is that people feel more connected to someone that looks like them. So if someone that's black comes to a bunch of people that are black and he tells them, listen, this is the God of Israel and it's truth, they're much more likely to accept his message. And that's the point of Hashem Barach because he made a promise, I'm going to put you in an unusual circumstance where you're likely to convert. Now you're definitely going to convert, but you're likely to convert, which means I'm going to put the odds and stack them for you. I'm going to put them in your favor. Where the guy's going to look a certain way, you're going to connect to it. The guy's going to say certain words, you're going to connect to it. The guy's going to look a certain way, act a certain way, have a certain thing, whatever it's going to be. So this is just one of many ways. Of course, many people go to us and uh, we help them convert and they're all colors, shapes, and sizes. 
But the point being is that for them, it doesn't matter. For them, Hashem made the, the, uh, the deck stacked in a different way. For them, they don't care about color, so they care about the way the guy speaks. Or they care about his past. Or they care about different things. But Hashem makes it so that uh, He puts things in our favor. He wants you to win. And He puts, and he, in essence, fixes the game for you. Which is the reason why when someone arrives at Shemaim without anything to show for it, he lived here in 70, 80 years, and he's still the same arrogant fool that came to the world. He's still the same angry little gremlin that created in the world. He's still cheap. He still doesn't help anybody. He's still selfish. And he comes up to Shemaim and says, Oh, Hashem, I love you. As I love you, you're my enemy. You're my enemy. I'm just bringing you here to see me one last time, first and last time, because I want you to see who you went against your whole life. What do you mean I went against? Look, you did everything against me. And I gave you everything in your hands to do it for me. I gave you arms so you can give. What would you do? You stole. I gave you eyes to read Torah. What would you do? You looked at pornography. I gave you legs to run to the Bet Knesset. What would you do? You ran away from cops because you were a thief. And so on and so forth. I gave you a mind to think of new chidushim of the Torah that I assigned specifically for you. No one in the world can have these chidushim but you. They're still waiting for you. Why? Because instead of learning Torah, you learn about other shtuyot, other nonsense of this world. So in essence, Hashem fixed the game for you and you still failed. Is everyone surprised why Hashem says that those that go against me are my enemies? It's not surprising. Why? He did everything possible for you. And you still lost. Which means that you have to lose intentionally. You have to mamash. When you lose... In this world, you lose intentionally. You don't lose by accident. No one comes to Shammai and says, Oh, I didn't know. Everyone knows. Deep down inside, everyone knows. Everyone knows the truth, including the people that have the most excuses. The ones that have the most excuses usually know more than the ones that don't have excuses. But what they're not willing to admit is that it's an excuse. But if it comes to money, they never have excuses. If you tell them, listen, why are you going to go try to make so much money? It's so hard. It's so hard to make a lot of money. Why are you going to go try to make a lot of money? Go work for UPS. Make 60000 a year. What do you need to go break your head, be an entrepreneur, build buildings, build houses, start businesses, break businesses? Why? For what? Go work for the Teachers Association. Make $36,000 a year. Live paycheck to paycheck. What do you need? At least you know. Go work for the Social Security Department. You know that the government's going to pay you on time, even though they don't actually have any money. They can always print more. So go work for them. Why are you going to go try to be an entrepreneur? What, are you crazy? No, what do you mean crazy? I want to be rich. I want to be this. Oh, how come you don't have excuses for that? Why don't you have excuses when it comes to chasing money? Why don't you have excuses when it comes to chasing women? Hey, she's not in your league, buddy. She's six feet tall. You're five foot nothing. What? No, no, she likes me. She likes my personality. Your personality, your personality of a gremlin. What personality? She's not going to look at you. She's not going to talk to you. No, 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 no. Why? Why don't you have excuses when it comes to somebody like that? Why? Why don't you have excuses for everything else? The only thing people have excuses for is God. The one place you're not allowed to have excuses, they have excuses. So this is part of a nature. Part of our nature. It's part of the creation itself. Hashem Barach. When in the Sefer Bereshit, in Genesis, when he says, Tov Me'od, he created, and the, and the completion of the Creator was Tov Me'od, double good, really good. That was actually the creation of the Yetzirah. 
Why the Yetzirah? Why was the Yetzirah considered Tov Me'od, very good? He says, because this is, number one, going to give them an opportunity to become great. It's going to give you an opportunity to become your version of Moshe Rabbeinu, your version of Rabbi Akiva, your version of whoever you are, but the best version of you. So yes, Rabbi Akiva had the inclination to become Rabbi Akiva, but he also lived as Akiva, simply Akiva, for 40 years, which means that he had a possibility to be both. Every one of us has the possibility to be both. Everyone has an op- opportunity to be great. Everyone has an opportunity to be a loser. Hashem gives you the ability to do it. Now, the fact that Hashem already sees the future is a different story. The fact that He knows what you're going to pick before you pick it doesn't change your choice. But nonetheless, your choice is still free, meaning you can still choose to either be a loser or a winner. Be an enemy of Hashem or a lover of Hashem. That's why Hashem, when He writes in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, and He says, I gave you a choice, the life and the good, the uh, death and the bad, and you shall choose life. Why you should, what does He say? So why don't you just say, I gave you the choices, and, and name the choices. He says, because you have free choice, you have free choice, you have good, that means life. Mitzvot means life. You're living in this world, you're living in Olam Abba. Bad means you go against me, you're my enemy. You're my enemy. That's bad. Why? Because you'll have this world, maybe. But in reality, you'll have no share of the world to come. So because I love you, I'm already giving you the answer. I'm giving you a cheat code. You shall choose life. That's the answer. That's the answer. So Hashem fixed the game. He gave me the answer. He gave me a cheat sheet. Somehow, the Yetzirah convinces us not to read the cheat sheet. The Yetzirah convinces us, no, 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 it's not the answer. What do you mean? God gave it. No, 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 it's not the answer. It's something else. No. What do you mean? But God gave the answer. He wrote the test. No, no, I'm telling you, it's something else. And somehow we're fooled into believing the Yetzirah. Why? Because he gives us money, he gives us women, he gives us all these different things that we're not supposed to have. All the things that are destroying us look good. That's why Shlomo HaMelech says, Maim gnuvim imtaku. Stolen water are sweeter. Why is stolen water sweeter? Stolen water and the water that you bought, they're both the same, fl- same flavor. It's water. It's flavorless. So why does Shlomo HaMelech say stolen water are sweeter? He says, because the stolen water, you got it from a sin. So it's more exciting for you. It's more exciting. It's more exciting to be with a married woman that's not your wife. Seems like it. The Satan convinces you to be with a married woman is better than to be with your own wife. It's better to be than with a woman that's single. This is actually Parashat Shavua, Parashat Kititzeh. Talks about the sin of somebody goes with a married woman. They kill both of them. And then lo chelak Someone can go with a married woman thinking it's okay. No, no, a husband is mean. A husband is terrible. A husband is a jerk. A husband is this. A husband is that. A husband is a husband. Until he's no longer a husband, you're not allowed to touch her. Husband, no husband. Until he's not a husband, you're not allowed to touch her. In fact, you're not even allowed to be in a room alone with her. So don't try to pretend like you're a tzaddik. I say, no, no, I'm doing her a favor. I'm helping her out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry her eventually. You're not going to marry Babkis. What you're going to marry is a satan, and you're going to sit with him for eternity in Geinom. That's what you're going to marry. So, here we see that in the story of Rabban Yochanan, it's 
Namash, a tree that could go into endless kivunim, endless directions. To expand further on the whole uh, um, uh, black people uh, issue that people think is also another thing that's, uh, if you look at the Abarbanel, and also Midrash Mirav Pultiel, and he talks about how uh, during the time of um, Moshe Rabenu, you all remember that we learn about the significance of Lashon Ara for Miriam. Miriam was a prophet. She spoke to God, and God answered. We could speak as much as we want, he has an answer. She spoke to God, and he answered. On top of that, there was a river of water that followed Am Yisrael for 40 years, only because of her benefit, to her merit. When she died, it stopped. And everyone went into a panic, which means that Miriam was Kodesh Kodeshim. But Miriam saw that Moshe Rabbeinu left his wife, Tzipora, and uh, she asked the question, why did he leave the Kushit? Why did he leave the black woman? So some sages say that the word Kushit means, is in essence, a, uh, it's opposite tongue, meaning that it says that Tzipora was so beautiful that she called her, why did you leave the ugly person? Just so there's no, no uh, Aynara. Because like I said before, black is not black complexion uh, like a black person. Black meaning someone that's uh, sick or something like that, uh, representing ugliness. Uh, so he said, why did you leave that ugly person? Because she was so beautiful that to say, why did he leave his wife? Everyone knew it. Con- immediately connected Moshe Rabbeinu's wife with beauty. It creates Lashon Ara. It creates the Etzara. Creates different things in their mind. All types of uh, things. So that's common. Most people know. What's the Chidush? Both Abarbanel and Midrash Mepultiel say, no, 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 no. Tzipora was actually from Midian. Tzipora was from Midian. Midian was next door neighbor to what? Kush. Kush is what? It's where all the black people are. It's in Africa. Meaning, Tzipora was a black woman. Which means that the wife of Moshe Rabbeinu was black and was extraordinarily beautiful, which also means that one of the most important converts in all of history was also a black person by the name of Yitro. Yitro left everything, left all the Abu Dazara in the world, all the wealth, all the money, all the everything, and he came to Am Yisrael, to become part of Am Yisrael. Came to Hashem Barach, and that's why there's a parasha named after him. That's why he had the merit for his, wife, his uh, daughter to be married to Gdolador, the prophet of all prophets. So obviously this is uh, an obvious example that uh, being black is not looked frowned upon, chas v'shalom, not by Chazal, not by God, not by anyone that actually knows Torah. Now, as far as the, uh, the curse of Ham, this is also a, when you actually understand the concept of, a, of what I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to understand the answer that I'm going to give you right now, which also mentioned Parashat Shavua, but also in, uh, by the Rambam. You'll understand how silly the question is. How silly the question is by the answer. And this is, again, no offense to anyone. This is, again, for all of those people that think that, number one, uh, uh, there's any type of racism in the Torah, 
there's any type of anything negative in the Torah against people, against Hashem Yibach's creation. Okay, so now, the question is, if someone is black and he converts, does he still have an issue because, in essence, he's a descendant of Ham, of Ham. So, the descendants of Ham was signified by their black complexion, but it doesn't mean that anyone that's black is cursed. Why? Because that's just the complexion. What you are, as far as uh, religion is concerned, that's up to you. So when someone joins Am Yisrael and decides to accept upon themselves Torah and Mitzvot, they not only are no longer cursed, but they become part of the chosen people that is blessed to such an extent that Hashem Yitbarach told our Avot, Avram Avinu, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, I will bless those that bless thee and I will curse those that curse thee. Anyone that blesses you, I'll bless them. Anyone that curses you is going to get a special VIP mail for me of a curse. So once someone converts to Judaism, they get a special blessing that supersedes all other things that ever was said, connected, and, and so on. But what does it mean to be a convert? Most people don't understand what it means to be a convert. And quite frankly, the more I learn about this topic, the more amazed I am at what it means to Hashem to be a convert. Now it mentions in the Torah, including this week's parasha, the significance of being a convert. Hashem mentions it 36 different times in the Torah, more than anything else other than Shabbat, about how much He loves, adores, and protects the converts. This week's parasha is one of those places. 36 different times Hashem Yitbarach talks about it. But if you look at the Alakha, at, uh, at the Rambam, Mishneh Torah, um, and you actually look at the Alachot of Gerim, the whole uh, uh, section that he talks about of converts. This is truly mamash amazing. It's in a Surebea, and chapter 13 and chapter 14 specifically. He talks about the whole process of being a convert and so on and so forth. But there's a couple of things that mamash, anyone that understands this and knows a convert, I'm not saying be a convert, just if you know a convert, you should start dancing. If you know a convert. If you know of a convert, you know somebody, you should start dancing. Why? Here he talks about what's a ger, what's a ger toshav, which also negates that whole craziness that people talk about ger toshav, that they think it's something else. He gives a definition of what a ger toshav is. But anyway, the Rambam talks about Hashem Yitbarach's love for the converts. And here he actually says something extraordinary. He says Hashem's love for converts is so significant, so significant, that he tells Am Yisrael just the fact that they left Abu Dazara and came to me is enough of a reason for you to be obligated to love them. So we know this is not a chidush. We're obligated to love Gerim. In addition, the Rambam says to love a convert is two mitzvot. One, you have to love another Jew. That's a mitzvah that you have to do with every Jew. Two is to love a convert. So you make a mitzvah, you have two mitzvot when you love a convert. But what is the extraordinary part? What's the extraordinary chidush? What does it mean, love? So the Rambam actually defines it. What does it mean 
to love a convert. And it's... It's amazing. I want to read you the language. You don't think I'm making this up because I'm biased. Um, see? It's the benefits of being live. So this is what he says. So Hashem commanded us regarding the convert to love the convert, and he uses the pasuk, So he says, uh, here the Rambam says, just like he commanded us to love him. So what does it mean? In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, the Rambam says, The Holy One, blessed be He, Himself loves converts. As He said in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, and He loves converts. So the Rambam gives a commentary on this specific thing and is uh, expanded upon also by the uh, Ma'aral and uh, several other sages. And it says, loving a convert is not like loving a Jew. Loving a convert, the Rambam says, you have to love the convert like you love God. Just like your love for God is unlimited, so does your love for the convert have to be. When someone actually understands what this means, this is also in Sefer HaMitzvot by the Rambam. It says when some... Why? Why is it such an extent? He says, he wrote a letter, the Rambam wrote a letter to a ger, to a convert named Ovadia. And he says to Ovadia, you know, us natural-born Jews, we connect our lineage to Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. You connect your lineage directly to God which is much higher. Much higher. So the Sefer uh, Mitzvot, the Ma'ari commentary, and several other places all say the same thing. But uh, the, uh, it says that uh, just like Hashem, Tziva al-Avat just like Hashem uh, commanded us to uh, love Him, He commanded us to love the convert. So this, anyone that's a convert, not only understands that they're not cursed, regardless of what color, shade, size, length, width, whatever they are. They could be yellow, they could be green, doesn't make a difference. Once they understand the significance of being a convert, then you obviously see that you're playing in a different ballgame. In addition to that, for all of these communities and all of these Jews that are still making the sin of 
embarrassing converts, going against converts, not accepting converts, and quite frankly, not loving them like you love God. This shows you just as significant as the love. Obligation is for us to love the converts. It's just as much the sin of not loving them. The deen is even more severe. So, as far as the curse, as you can see, once you understand what a convert means, there's no such thing. It's as far removed from it as possible. Now, where does this all stem from? All this, all this, say, uh, racism, sexism, all this shtuyot that happen in the world, where does it all come from? It comes from this Mishnah. It comes from this Mishnah. How does it come from this Mishnah? Rabbi Levitash Yishyavne says, Be exceedingly humble in spirit. For the anticipated end of man is worms. He says exceedingly, in Hebrew he says me'od, me'od. He repeats the word me'od. Double on your effort of getting to a point of being humble. Now if you look in Sefer Shemot, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu was anav me'od, was a humble person. Very, very humble. But all, all he mentions one me'od the humblest man of all time, it says one meod. So Rabbi Levitas is telling us you should be more than Moshe Rabbeinu. But we know already from the Torah it's not possible. He says, yes, but you have to try even harder than what Moshe Rabbeinu tried. Why? Because your natural inclination will be to do the opposite. The, pro- the root of most problems that we have in the world today is because we have a disease called gava. It's called pride. People feel like they have a reason to be proud. Proud for their color, proud of their money, proud of their beauty, proud of their size, shape, how fast they run, how slow they uh, think, all types of things that they do. They're proud of being gay, they're proud of being sinners, they're proud of all types of things. People look for reasons to be proud. So this, in essence, is the opposite of what you're supposed to be. According to our Torah, according to Rabbi Levitas over here, and obviously according to Hashem, which we'll point out throughout the, uh, the, the lecture. But when Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai was... You guys forgot about the story of Rabban Yochanan already. When Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai was with Vespasian... He knew that in order for him to get the message across, he had to be very humble. Why? Because the Gemara says that someone that's arrogant is hated by all of those around him, including his own family. Gemara Masechet Psachim. Gemara Masechet Psachim says someone that's arrogant eventually gets to a point where even his own family hates him. His wife hates him. The kids hate him. Everybody hates him. And I have at least a half a dozen stories like this of people I'm trying to help right now. Where Mamash, the family hates one specific person. Father, mother, whatever, child, whoever. Because of their arrogance. They don't call it arrogance. They call it, no, because he is this or he is that. But in reality, bottom line is, root of the whole problem is arrogant. She's arrogant. Whatever it is, the root of the problem is arrogance. Pride, gava. They think who they are. And it's causing 
them to torture the world around them. So Rabban Yochanan actually had, unlike most of us, or really all of us, actually had a reason to be proud. We really don't. What do we achieve in life? We went to the bathroom. What do we achieve? We made a few dollars. We lost a few dollars. What do you actually achieve that's something to be proud of? You go to Shemaim. Hey, look, I did so much. What would you do? Money, Hashem gave it to you. Beauty, not up to you. How tall you are, not up to you. Married with kids, so does the donkey. What are you so proud about? Rabban Yochanan, on the other hand, he actually had something to be proud about. Why? Before Rabban Yochanan, at this very moment, this story, Chazal says the Torah was at risk of being lost, Chash Shalom. And Rabban Yochanan had it all in his hand. It's up to him to save it. Now he already knew that the Romans are going to destroy Bet Mikdash. There's no way to turn it around. They're here, they're not leaving. He says, if I come to him, I tell him, listen, I'm smart, I'm a genius. My Talmud, my Talmud, Talmuds, my student's student is Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is my student's student. Just imagine how great I am. One time, a sage said something to Rabban Yochanan, giant sage also, said something to Rabban Yochanan, Rabban Yochanan thought that he was making fun of him. And the Gemara says that he had, he was very old, he had his eyebrows covered his eyes. And one of his servants would lift his eyes if he wanted to look at somebody. And one of the uh, people said something, I think it was Bar Kapara, uh, said something and he thought that he was making fun of him. And he looked at him and he died. Says he turned into Bones. Died. This happened multiple times. Not because of Rabban Yochanan. Hashem Barach did not like that Rabban Yochanan was upset. Because of that, he killed somebody. And then he realized that he wasn't making fun of him. Later on, a few days later, they came to him. No, no, Kvod Arav. He was tzaddik. He wasn't. He wasn't making fun. The guy had a split lip. He had a split lip. He had a uh, split lip. So Rabban Yochanan thought that he was laughing in his face. Because his face was always like this. So Rabban Yochan thought he was making fun of him, so he killed him. He got upset, you know, to upset in his level. And the guy died. Hashem said, no, my Rabban Yochanan is upset. Dead. Finished. A few days later, the story came up. Like, yeah, he was a real big genius. He goes, what big genius? The guy was uh, Rasha. Look how he made fun of me. He was laughing in my face. He goes, no, that was how his face is. He was always like this. His split lip. Oh, Bemet? Okay. So let's go to him. He goes, no. For the Rav, he's dead. No, no. Let's go. They go to his grave. He goes, okay, now you're alive. He comes out of the grave. He's alive. Now he's alive. Finished. It's okay. I didn't know. I'm sorry. You guys can do that. I can barely say the story. So he had something to be proud of. The Torah was almost lost, and he says, I can't go to this Vespasian Rasha Merusha and tell him I'm great, I can do this, I can do this, I can do that. I can do nothing. What I gotta do, I gotta make myself like a little puppy. Tell him, please, your honor, your highness, your this, your that. Why? There's a time and a place for everything. So Vespasian says to him, 
Where were you until now? And he says, the Tzionim, the Biryonim, the Zionists, starving us. I had to sneak out, pretend like I was dead. Pretend like I was dead. So, that was the story. But now, the part I didn't tell you was that Vespasian was like, okay, accepted his... uh, his explanation. He says, okay, fine. What do you want? I'll give you anything you want. Three things you can ask for, I'll give it to you. And one of the things that he asked for, he knew that there was no way that he can get him to stop and leave Yerushalayim. He knew. Some of the sages argue in the Gemara, say maybe he should have asked for it anyway. So he said, tafasta me'ubelo tafasta. He says, uh, they say that Rabban Yochanan knew it's better burn in hand than two in a bush. Get whatever you can. So what did he get? He says, listen, Yavne, don't touch it. It's a place called Yavne. All the Sanhedrin, everyone moved to Yavne. Already a few years ago, they moved to Yavne. Guaranteed that no one's going to touch them. There's protection for them. Because that's the Torah. Even if you destroy this, destroy this, destroy this, at least if we have the sages, we're going to have the Torah. If we have the Torah, we can restart everything. So now, he, Mama, saved the Torah at this moment, this conversation, this actual event. Save the Torah. He also asked that uh, Rabban Gamliel's family is not touched, not harmed, because the Mashiach will come from Rabban Gamliel's uh, Seed, lineage. He comes from David Amelech, which is also the reason why many of the sages, or all of the sages, actually said that if the Mashiach came at the generation of Rebbe, Rabbi Yudan Nasi, the original Rebbe, not the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zechat Tzadik Livacha, but Rabbi Akadosh is referencing Rabbi Yudan Nasi from 2,000 years ago almost, or 1,700 years ago. Uh, no, more, more than 2,000 years ago. Uh, they uh, are referencing him. Why? They said that if he was such a perfect human being in Midot, in Torah, and so on, and he was from David HaMelech, he was from the lineage of David HaMelech, if the Mashiach would come, he would be it. He would be it. And that's why in the Gemara, it talks about different options of who could be the Mashiach. I believe this is Bava Metziah. Gemara Bava Metziah. Talks about who could be a Mashiach. He gives certain names for the Mashiach. It says it could be Daniel, it could be Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda. It also mentions the name Menachem. Mentions the name Menachem, and that's where Lubavitch, the the Chabad, gets. Oh, see Menachem. Lubavitch, Rabbi, his name was Menachem, but that's the mistake. It gives the full name. It gives the full Menachem, and actually gives a full name. It's not him, but. It says, actually, if it was in a generation of Rebbe, it would be Rebbe. If it was in a generation of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, it would be prophet Daniel. Which means that anyone that's going to be a Mashiach has to be no less than them. With all due respect to any sage that lived in the last 100, 200, 500, 1,000 years, no one is like the sages and the prophets from 2,000 years ago. That's, that's, a, that's a Torah. That's written in the Torah. It's, 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 a, it's a law. In the world, we've only declined. No one today will be as great as anyone from 100 years ago. 
No one today will be as great as anyone from 900 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. No one. As great as you are, you may be the Gdola Dol now, but you're still not enough to even be a student of Rabbi Akiva. As a matter of fact, one of the proofs is Rambam. Rambam, one of the most important human beings that ever lived, 900 years ago. Rambam. He was not even enough to be a student. As great as he was, was not even enough to be a student of Rabbi Akiva. Why? Because in order to be a student of Rabbi Akiva, you have to be a Tana. What's a Tana? Someone that can bring back the dead. As great as Rabbi Ambam was, who was actually able, there's a story I told you guys a few months ago, there's stories where he went from city to city in a moment. He was able to, he didn't have to use a uh, caravan and horses or planes. He could almost go from place to place just like that with Shem Mephorash. You could say that it's Shem Mephorash of Hashem and move, go to a different place. But he couldn't revive the dead. Therefore, he cannot be. So, again, people sometimes fall in love with their rabbis so much that they want to make them something that they're not. And this is not actually honor of the rabbi. This is not honoring the rabbi. This is the opposite. This means you didn't learn anything from the rabbi. That's what it means. It means you didn't learn, learn nothing from him. If you turn your rabbi into Mashiach, you learn nothing from the rabbi. Because the rabbi learned Torah. Why would he become a great rabbi? Because he learned a lot of Torah. What does the Torah say? The Torah says that he's not, he's not a Mashiach. And he can't be Mashiach. So, Rabbi Levitas is saying, why does all this balagan happen? Why does all this stuff happen? Pride. Pride. Pride is the root of all problems. Pride is mamash the root of all problems to such an extent that the Rambam in, uh, in Mishneh Torah, he talks about different midot and also in Shmona Prakim. Shmona Prakim in chapter 4, he talks about different midot, different character traits that people have. He says it's like a chart. Let's say, for example, someone that's stingy and someone that's generous. Someone's cheap and someone that is generous. Says so someone this one guy that is cheap on himself, but is large on other people. And then there's a guy that's cheap on everyone else except himself. Different. But there's extremes. And the Rambam says in all of the Midot, you have to be in the middle. The secret is to be in the middle. You can't be overly generous. Because then you'll go broke. If you give to every single person that looks at you, by the end of the day, you'll be broke. On the other hand, if you don't give, then you are going to be hated by Hashem Barach. Why? Because you're the opposite of God. Hashem only gives, never takes. There's nothing you can give Him. So if you are cheap, stingy, you don't want to give, you're the opposite of God. And Gemara says God hates you. So anyone that wants God to hate him, just be cheap. Be cheap. And I'm not just talking about be cheap to the rabbi, be cheap to Kiru, be cheap to Zikwe Rabbi. I'm not talking about just that. Cheap on your wife. You want God to hate you, be cheap on your wife. That's why Hashem Itbarach actually made it a specific rule. The Gemara, it says, Parnasa comes for the merit of the wife. Not the husband. Husband can go work 900 hours a day. 900, not, not 24, 900. Somehow he invented more time. Smart. Invented more time. Can work 900 hours a day. 
He's cheap on his wife. He's going to have no bracha in the money. Even if he makes a million dollars a day. It's going to be spent on medical bills, on shtuyot, on stuff that's no, no bracha in the money. Why? Torturing his wife. You want to torture your wife? You want to be stingy on your wife? Good luck to you. Enjoy making the money. You're just going to look at it on a computer. You're just never going to have it. People don't understand that there is such a thing as not having blessing in the money. I know this firsthand. People don't believe this. People think, no, listen, like a guy makes $50,000 a year. Of course he's not going to have extra. But a guy makes 500000 guy makes a million a year. Of course he's going to have extra. They think that just because you have more money, you have extra. False. 100% false. I can tell you as Mamash, a living example. It would be hard for me to believe it if I didn't see it. Being honest. It would be hard for me to believe what I'm telling you, I'm about to tell you right now, if I didn't see it for myself. Now, Bachai in the money means not just that you'll make a lot of money. It doesn't mean that. Bracha, having blessing in the money, means that you'll have the, uh, the blessing to such an extent where you'll keep it. And you'll, whatever money you'll have, you'll use it for good things. Even if it's not much money, even if you're making uh, barely minimum wage, you have everything you want. Your heart desires nothing further. Everything you want, you have. You go for Shabbat shopping, whatever you want, you buy. You don't look at the receipt, you don't look at the uh, prices. You go to the store, you buy. Like Rabbi Ephraim. Rabbi Ephraim went to the uh, market with him in Israel. I was in shock. He, he took one card, and he's like, no, bring your own card. I'm like, no, but you already have a card. He goes, bring, bring. And the way he shops, Rabbi Ephraim, he doesn't shop like us. We shop, we, we have no emuna. What happens with us? We shop, we look at this. Oh, three ninety nine. No. Not on, sale. Not on sale. He puts it back. Oh, three seventy nine. Oh no, no. When it goes down to two ninety nine, I'm gonna buy it. That's how we shop. Or sometimes we go, we say, Oh, three ninety nine, you know what? I'll I'll do it for Shabbat, like we like with Sadiqim. For Shabbat, I'm gonna do it, honey. I'm gonna buy the ketchup for three ninety nine for Shabbat. Honey, look how the Baal Emuna I am. For Shabbat, I'm buying it. Oh, the wine. He wants the guy, the guy's an alcoholic, but he's like, the wine's for Shabbat. It's Shabbat. You're an alcoholic, that's why. It has nothing to do with Shabbat. Honey, I'm buying the wine. It's $15, honey, for Shabbat. Not for your Shabbat, for your tava, for your desires, you're buying it. But anyway, we buy one wine, one wine, $15, $16, the ketchup, the this, the sukkayot, the kid is crying for candy. Okay, okay, one lollipop. One, one lollipop. One lollipop, you buy the poor little kid, one lollipop, he's skin. That's how we shop. Rabbi Fahim, he doesn't shop like that. How does Rabbi Fahim shop? He goes to the aisle, he sees if I look at anything. And it looks like I like it. I didn't say anything. Or he knows his kids like it. He knows his kids like it. Or he knows his wife like it. Who, wife, his wife likes it. He doesn't shop like this. How do you shop? He puts the cart right next to the aisle, right next to the thing. He just goes like this. And it just falls into the cart. He doesn't count, doesn't look, doesn't nothing. How much Parnassah does Rav Ephraim make every month? $500. $500 from the caller he studies day and night. $500. How? That's when you have Emunah. You have Emunah, you don't look at price tags. Huh? Should we? If you have Emunah, if you're in that level, you should. If you're not in that level, you go broke. Don't call me from jail on Shabbat. I'm not saying. <laughs> So, so, that's when you have emunah. You don't have emunah, you have to test yourself at different levels. But the point here is, is that we have 
different midot, different things we have to work on. Rambam says, when you are stingy, very bad. You can very, very easily ruin your life in this world and the next world. In this world, because everyone's going to hate you. In the next world, because then you're going to discover that God hates you. Imagine, you work 70, 80 years, do tefillin, learn Torah, do this, do that. In, in uh, you know, during Pesach, you eat matzah like champ. You know, during Sukkot, you built the nicest sukkah, you have this, you have the etrog, you have the love, you have everything great. You have always wearing proper, ta, 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 you arrive at Shamayim, God says, ah, this guy again. What, this guy just arrived now? I can't stand you. I've been looking at you for 80 years, I can't stand you. Why? What happened? You're the cheapest guy in town. Imagine arriving at Shemaim and Hashem says, I can't stand you. Worst. Worst. What happened? Why can't stand you? Cheap. Cheap person. Cheap person. So now, Rambam says, everything you have to be in the middle. Except, except a couple of things. There's one specific thing that's the root of all problems. The Rambam says this one, you have to be machmil. There's no leniencies on this either. There's one midah that you have to be as stringent as possible on it. And that midah is pride. You must be as stringent as possible on yourself to eliminate any source of pride whatsoever that you have in you. You have no reason to ever be proud. You have to be the opposite the solar opposite of proud. And that's why he mentions this Mishnah. He says that's why Rabbi Levitas, who was the head of the Sanhedrin, that's, that Yavne, that, uh, that uh, uh, Rabban Yochanan in the story we just heard from the Gemara, the one that he saved, Rabbi Levitas was the head. That's why it says Ish Yavne. What's Ish? Leader. He was the head. So he's telling all of the other giants, the head, you should tell them, listen, you guys should learn Gemara, you should do this. No, 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 you tell them, no, no, basic. This is the only Mishnah we have from Rabbi Levitas, the leader of the Avne. Only Mishnah we have. He says, I only have one message. Could have given any message you have. If you say ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, you have Parnassah. If you say this, this, and this, you'll fly to heaven. If you say this, and this, you're guaranteed Allah. No, 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 he says here, one thing you need to learn from me, all the sages, from that time to the simple people of today. One thing I have to teach you. Humility, be a machmir. Extra humility. Why? Because the, any degree of pride causes you to go against Hashem to such an extent that it's not that Hashem dislikes you. He runs away from you. And it says in the Gemara Masechet Sota, where it actually says that a person that has pride, Hashem says him, I can't be in the same room as him. I hate him so much. I cannot be in the same room as him. Cannot be in the same room as someone that has pride. Why? Where does pride come from? Pride is thinking who you are. He says he thinks who he is, meaning he thinks that he said a few words and created the world. He thinks he's God. I know he's not God. And there's only one God. Therefore, I can't be in the room. I cannot be in a room with someone that's proud. So Rabbi Levitas is mamash warning us extra, extra here. Me'od, me'od. 
He's telling us, you must be a machmir when it comes to humility. Because any degree of pride makes you hated by the makom, by the omnipresent, by Hashem Barach. Now, the Gemara Masechet Sota, it goes extensively about it. Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev says in Lekutem Maharan that someone that has pride eventually becomes a noeth. Eventually becomes someone that makes sex crimes. Homosexuality, bestiality, eshet ish, all of those averot that have to do with sex come from proud people. People that are arrogant. Think who they are. So, the Gemara in uh, Sota, page 4b, I'll give you a few things that you see this is not like my idea or something, Chaz Shalom. Ravera said, Zimnin amar la mishme de Rav Asi, vezimnin amar la mishme de Rav Ami, kol adam sheesh bogasut ruach, lesof mitmaet, shenemar romu meat. He says, anyone that is a, uh, possesses haughtiness, possesses gava, all that type of uh, personality, what's his punishment? He says, part of the punishment is in this world. What does Hashem do? Breaks him. Whatever he has, he takes it away from him. He uses his own wealth against him. So now you're going to ask, how is it that you have these people like uh, Donald Trump's of the world that have zillions of dollars and they have even more gava than they have money? How do you explain? Number one, there's no bracha in the money. There's no blessing in the money. Number two, they are hated and despised by those around them, so there's no Baha'i in their life. And number three, if they weren't proud, they would have 50 million times more. So now, going into back to the question of as far as uh, Baha'i and money, when someone has blessing in the money, he could easily feel comfortable acting like Rabbi Fine, that with very little, he could stretch it to no end. When someone doesn't have bracha in the money, he could be like I used to be when I was on Wall Street making a lot of money, and there would literally be an average month we would make a couple hundred thousand dollars in every month, and some months we'd make much more, 500,000, 600,000. The biggest month was in uh, May of 2006. We made $1.6 million in one month. So we're talking about an extraordinary amount of money. But yet somehow, at the end of every month, we can't wait for the wire to come, for the money for the next, for the last month's production. Somehow the money is always gone. Somehow the money is always allocated somewhere. There's never enough. There's never enough. Yes, we made investments and so on and so forth, but somehow it never felt like there was enough. Every month, we'd always be in a position where we needed the money. Like we much needed much more money to come in. No blessing in the money. Living, how do you live above your means when you make that much money? No, I, my apartment was only $3 million. I bought it for two. It was worth four. No. 
No, man, no. As far as, as, far as uh, my expenses, no. I mean, I didn't have Ferraris. I didn't have helicopters. I didn't have toys. I, didn't, I never bought a piece of jewelry for myself in my life. No, it had nothing to do with that. It has to do with, uh, I was never a toys person. I like looking, you know, if it's on TV, I'll look at the Ferrari that's on TV or something I remember, but I would never actually waste my money, half a million dollars on some stupid uh, piece of metal. I found it ridiculous. Uh, or people that buy very expensive watches or jewelry. I never understood why a watch is $50,000 or $100,000. Never understood that. Even though I have family in the business, I never understood why somebody would pay a million dollars or 500000 or even 50000 for a rock. I never understood it. I never valued those things. For my wife, I buy something small here and there, but... As far as toys and things like that, material, I was never connected to it. So it has nothing to do with that. It simply has to do with when you have blessing in the money, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. Somehow, there's always this need for more, and you don't ever have enough. You're not content with what you have. And I'm not talking about you're not content because you're ambitious. I'm talking about you're not content where somehow you're in a position where you have to tell the guy, listen, is a, uh, you know, I'm going to buy this house from you, I'm going to buy this uh, car from you, I'm going to buy this thing, but I'm only going to be able to pay you in three weeks from now. What do you mean three weeks from now? You have a $5 million business. What's wrong? Why can't you pay now? No, I have this and I have that. You have to always, your way. you're always behind. You're always behind the eight ball. You're always behind the eight ball. You're always, there's money's invested, money's tied up. There's the lawyers coming. There's a potential lawsuit. There's always something going on. You never feel and you never have air. Now, on the opposite end, I can tell you now where I make no salary whatsoever, but somehow, Baruch Hashem, we have everything we need. Uh, so this is Mamash. A, uh, it, it, it shows Mamash in, in plain sight what it means to have blessing in the money, what it doesn't mean to have blessing in the money. Right now, I, don't know, I think we live off of $3,000 a month or something like that. And somehow that's enough to pay for a wife, two kids, and, uh, and, and even give some tzedakah. You know? So, again, and anyone that's been to my house, I don't live in a homeless shelter. I live in a you know, regular house. You know? I live in a regular house. I have a regular car. I have a regular house. My kids are pretty regular, pretty normal. Everyone eats. It's nothing, most people don't believe that I lost all my money, by the way. People are convinced that I still have a few million stacked somewhere. Even though I say my story, the end of every time I say my story is that I declared bankruptcy recently. No one believes it. Everybody thinks I stashed a few million somewhere. No one wants to believe the story. Yes, people, people, people that have a getaway plan, God bless them. But the thing is, though, is that my plan couldn't have a getaway plan because the one that took it is the one that gave it. You understand? The God that gave it also took it so there was no getaway plan for him. I couldn't run away. No, no. When you're making, when you're making, okay, let me explain. When you're making two, three hundred thousand dollars a year, yes, you can go broke pretty quickly. Uh, why? You make a bad purchase, a bad deal, that's pretty much all your money. When you're making five million plus a year, it has to actually have to be the yad of Hashem, the hand of God, to make you go broke. That's because they no the, the, the football players are spending more than they have. Or they, I actually wrote an article about uh, the statistics uh, of football players and athletes in general that go broke within an average of uh, uh, four years after they complete their career, they retire from their career. 
they go broken. The reason why is because they continue spending the same money they were spending while they were playing after. So they keep buying five Range Rovers every year. They keep uh, buying houses they can't really afford. And on top of it, the biggest mistake of all is that they keep giving money to all the losers that surround them that uh, ask them for money. Every, all of a sudden, when you have money, by the way, when you have money, one thing you'll notice is that all of a sudden, all of your friends became entrepreneurs. Everyone wants to start a business, and you're the guy that has to invest in it. You're the sucker that has to invest in it. Everybody, all of a sudden, the guy was working for the mail, in the mailroom for the last 25 years. You have money. All of a sudden, he's always had this idea. Always had this idea. For 20 years, he's sitting in this idea. For you to make it, so you can give him the money. Everybody always wants to be an entrepreneur, and you're a dime. So this is, this is the reason why, why athletes and, people, and young people go broke. It's because of that. It's that they give money to the wrong people. They make investments without knowing anything about investments. And they live a, a lifestyle that's ridiculous. Like I told you, I didn't live that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, so they, a, lot of different, a lot of different mistakes. I mean, the thing is, though, is that, again, also, they don't have a financial background. They don't know anything about money. They just know that money is a tool to, that you can buy stuff with. Financials was my expertise. I told companies how to how to manage things. So that's again, like I said, it's 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 uh, the yad of Hashem, but Hashem that it all happened. But it just the point I'm trying to embellish here is that when you have money, doesn't necessarily mean you have blessing. When you have blessing, doesn't necessarily mean you have a lot of money. One and one don't necessarily always go with each other. Yeah. It gives you money. It doesn't necessarily mean it gives you blessing. Okay, but I understand that. But a lot of the time, people that make money mm-hmm. also do a lot of good. So, what, just because you give you money doesn't, doesn't mean it's dirty money. Or no, no. Just because Hashem gives you money doesn't mean you have blessing in the money. Like, meaning, Hashem can give you a million dollars, but you could, not you, somebody else, someone that hates Am Yisrael, can use Hashem gave him a million dollars a year, but he has to use a million a million dollars a year on medical bills. So if you ask the guy, listen, would you prefer to make five dollars a year? Five, not fifty, not fifty thousand, five dollars a year. Be a little homeless guy in the corner, but cancer free, or still make a million dollars a year, but you have cancer and you're probably gonna die any day. Which one is he gonna pick? So he said, So the point is is that when Hashem gives you blessing. It's not just the money aspect of it. Sometimes he can give you both. Sometimes he can give you a lot of money and blessing, meaning that you'll have a lot of money that he's given you, which also will allow you to do a lot of mitzvot. You could be a Baal Chesed, you can give a lot of tzedakah. You're giving uh, not only 10% of your income, you're giving 20% of your income. Chomish. You make a million dollars a year, you give $200,000 in tzedakah. And you're helping uh, people build kolels, do zikwe rabim, all types of wonderful things. Hashem continues to give you more. So that's blessing double. On the other hand, Hashem can give somebody the same amount of money, but all million dollars goes to legal bills. Why? Because everyone hates the guy and everyone wants to sue him. Or some of his employees stole his uh, patent, stole his idea, so now he has to spend a million dollars suing them to get it back. So Hashem gave him the money. Hashem gave him a million dollars. Hashem gave him ten million dollars. But the guy can't sleep at night. Why? Because he's constantly thinking about his enemies and how they're stealing his stuff. So that's another option. Another option is Hashem can give a person 
regular amount of income. You give him fifty thousand, thirty thousand, whatever, hundred thousand dollars a year, whatever regular income is, and that guy is never going to need anything more. Why? Whatever he needs, he has money for kids. He has the money for the kids. Before he had kids, he didn't have the money. When the kids arrived, he had the money. How? To Shem's business. I have a guy who, God bless him, is part of our, he's really the only member of our Maser program. And uh, we have a Maser program where if you donate 10%, or at least 10% of your income from your business um, to help us do what we're doing. So we made a little flyer for him uh, and posted it online. Posted it online on our YouTube page and on, on our uh, Facebook page and so on. That people see this is what he does. He's in the jewelry business. This is what he does and as a business. But also he donates to us. He gives 10, 10% of what he makes to us to get, help people do tshuva, to help people get closer to Hashem. This is a deal we have. Why do we advertise for him? Because he's doing it on a regular basis every month. And the, uh, in essence, return a favor to show to people that, listen, you can do business with anyone, but this is also a good person. Why? Because his deeds are good. Why am I telling you this story? I'm telling you this story because before we started, he gave us already before we started. He gave us money before we started. A few thousand dollars every month. And he tells me, he's like, listen, I don't really have the money. Like, I'm looking at my budget of how much money I need for my business. I'm looking at the money of how much I need for my house. I'm looking at the money of how much I need to do all these different things. To add an extra, I don't know, $3,000 a month, I don't have. Actually, I don't even have the money that I need for everything else I just mentioned to you. But ever since I started giving it to you, somehow I always have. Somehow, before I gave it to you, I was always running after money, trying to figure out how I'm going to pay the bills, how I'm going to pay the bills, how I'm going to pay the bills. Always trying to figure out how I'm going to pay the bills. Ever since I made this thing with you, it's been, I don't know, a few years already, Baruch Hashem, he's like, somehow there's always money. Every time it comes for me sending you a check, the money comes in that day, the day before, three days before, somehow it's always there. I'm never short on money. He goes, mathematically it doesn't work out. I have no idea how it's happening. So Hashem is giving you Panasas, so you give up, so we can help people. I'm excited, come back to Hashem. So that's having Baha'i in the money. Having Baha'i in the money is that Hashem is going to give you money and in different ways that's not necessarily always going to make sense. But who cares? It still shows up in your bank. Um, I'll tell you a story. It's a very strange story. And if it wasn't me, I really wouldn't believe it. Um, on Friday... Yeah, it was Friday it was. On Friday, uh, someone um, called me and texted me and called me a bunch of times. Usually when people try to reach me, they're They call and they text and they email and they telepathy and a bunch of things until they finally get to me. Sign language, whatever they can get. Finally, anyway, the guy got to me and I don't know him. I don't know the guy. He says, listen... There is a uh, woman that miskena, uh, her and her kids, her husband uh, threw her out or ran away, and uh, they're mamash, uh, they have nothing. No car, no food, no nothing. Mamash left them to the dead. Yeah, disabled son, right. So 
Now, usually when I give, I don't have much to give. Whenever I give, I, you know, I try to check who I'm going to give to. As an irgun, as an organization, we give. We do a lot of chasadim, Baruch Hashem. That's part of what we do. Not, we don't just print CDs and make movies. We give, Baruch Hashem, to whoever needs, whenever we can, we give. So but the thing is, though, and usually one of the obligations of giving is that you have to check who you're giving to. Unless it's nothing, unless it's a small amount of money, it's like $5, $10, where it's, it costs more money to, to investigate who you're giving to than what you're giving. If With that kind of checking, you're never going to end up giving to anyone. So anyway, the guy asked me about the thing, and I thought about it for a second. I'm like, I have to give, but you know what? It's Friday, I don't have time to check. I don't have the time to verify the story. And uh, I decided, you know what? I looked at the parasha. Parashat Shavuah last week, and it says, Parashat Shoftim, in the uh, chapter 16, verse 20, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdof, Leman, Tichye. Righteousness, righteousness, you shall chay or pursue, so you shall live. So I didn't think it was a coincidence that Hashem repeated that you have to chase righteousness Twice, just like this Mishnah mentions me'od me'od. You have to be a machmir on humility. You have to be extra stringent on adding as much humility uh, to your life as possible. Hashem here is telling you for tzedek, for righteousness, you also have to be a machmir. But tzedek is also the root of the word tzedakah. Tzedakah. So, he says... When it comes to, so the way Chidush I got from it is that staka, he says, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdov, chase it. Leman tichye. So go chase staka, for you shall live. So I thought, maybe Hashem has given me a message, maybe there's Hashem Achem, there's maybe a Gzardin Mavit in Shamayim, some sin that I made by accident, on purpose, in the past, whenever it was, and Hashem has given me an opportunity. If I go check, if I go check, 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 by the time I end up finding out whether it's true or not, it's going to be already Monday. Maybe they need it for Shabbat. Maybe they need it right now. So I didn't think it was a coincidence, so I said, you know what, not only should we give a little bit, but I, I, I recommend it for other people to give. And Baruch Hashem, they were able to raise a little bit of money. And uh, I thought it was wonderful. Other people were inspired by it. They wrote a little chidush, a little... Uh, Think about it, explaining the parasha, explaining this whole thing that happened. And I thought, okay, Baruch Hashem, this was great. Other people were inspired. I ended up learning a chidush, and I ended up a mitzvah of giving. Half hour before Shabbat comes, half hour. Someone knocks on my door. I, I get to the door, they're gone. I see some person running away. I've never seen this person before. But they left me a little envelope with exactly how much money I gave. I gave, donated anonymously to this, to this people that I don't know. I opened the door. Hours later, obviously these people didn't know nothing. They gave me exactly what I gave. Or a little bit more actually than I gave. Didn't stand. So, when you do what Hashem wants you to do, you can't lose. Sometimes you have the merit to see it live, like I'm telling you in this story right now, sometimes it could be years before you see the truth. The point being is that it's all based on the reason behind what you're doing, what you're doing. Some people give staka because they're looking for 
you know, people to recognize that they're uh, great people. So that's not staka, that's advertising. When someone is giving people, so you can tell people that he gave, for example, the, the, uh, the holidays that are coming up, you're going to see a lot of those people. Holidays are coming up, Yom Kippur, especially in the Sephardic communities. There's the auction process. The auction process where they sell the aliyot, and unfortunately, allowed? allowed to what? Do auctions? Yes. Uh, Yakut, uh, Yakut Yosef says you're allowed to do uh, auction of selling the uh, aliyot during Shabbat or the holidays. And the reason why is because uh, you're, number one, you're uh, selling a mitzvah. You're not selling a makar. So you're enabling somebody to do a mitzvah. And number two, if it wasn't for these types of uh, auctions during the holidays, there would be no synagogues because many of these people don't come to synagogue throughout the year. But Yakut Yosef, the Alachan Yakut Yosef, says you're allowed to do it on Shabbat, you're allowed to do it on the holidays because in essence you're enabling people to do a mitzvah. You're enabling people to do a mitzvah. Uh, it's not like you're selling them a house. You're selling them a mitzvah. Uh, and they're committing to doing tzedakah. But the, uh, and also people should know, is the Gemara says that once somebody says that they're going to buy a certain mitzvah, they're going to buy aliyah, for example, know, for Yom Kippur, for uh, parnasah, or for any of the things that they buy, they must pay right away. You can't wait six months, eight months, ten months, or until next year to pay. If you don't have the money, don't buy. Because someone that buys the bracha, someone that buys the aliyah, and does not pay, because he really doesn't have the money, he's stealing. He's stealing the mitzvah from somebody else. On top of it, he's putting the Bet in danger. Because the Bet is not thinking, we're going to sell you this mitzvah so you can pay us in a year from now, before next Rosh Hashanah. They're depending on you giving it now. So you can't say, no, no, I'm going to give it to you based on the money I'm going to make in 10 months from now. No, 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 my friend. You give it based on what you have today. Yeah, based on what I have today. I can't afford. Don't buy. Don't buy. Somebody else will buy. A lot of these people, they end up committing an enormous amount of money and they don't have any money to pay. You're not allowed. It's a, it's a, it's a deen in Shemaim against you. The Kitug in Shemaim against you uh, when you do such a thing because in essence you're torturing somebody. You, you must pay people on time. You must pay people on time. Especially if it's for a mitzvah. So, now when people are donating this money, many of them don't know this, obviously. They're not very religious. They haven't learned much Torah. They come to the Knesset a couple times a year, like I used to, like many of us used to. So they donate, and they give. But many of them do it in such a way where they're not really giving because they care about Hashem, or they care about the Torah, or they care about the Beknesset. They don't care about any of those things. They care about what people think. John gave 15,000 this year. So everybody's going to talk about it. Look, I gave 15,000. Everybody makes these noises. No, but Daniel gave 25,000. Everybody's there. Everybody sings to them. The guy's Michal Shabbat. What are you singing about? Guys, me scanning. He's lucky he's alive, Bechla. He's lucky if he's going to be alive to get home to write the check. Are you allowed to take the money of a Mechalel Shabbat? Allowed? Yes. Unless it was made on Shabbat. If he made the money on Shabbat, you're not allowed to use that money because in essence you're enabling him. But if he made the money on a different day, you're allowed to take it. 
Many of the tzaddikim, like uh, in previous generations, like for example, like the Baba Sali would not take money from Mechalel Shabbat. There's tzaddikim of this age that don't take tzedakah from Mechalel Shabbat. Um, it's a, um, it's in essence a, uh, enabling the person to continue sinning. This is a very, very big problem. But nonetheless, a, a lot of these people that are giving, they're not giving because they care about Torah. If they care about Torah, they actually read it. If they care about the Torah or the Beknesset, they'd actually attend. But they don't care about Torah. They care about what other people think. So this is a very, very big problem. So this, in Shemaim, it's very bad. Why? Because in Shemaim, they say, listen, this guy just gave $20,000 to some aliyah that he doesn't even know what it is. And now everybody's going to give him kavod because he just gave all this money. Or he promised to give all this money. So when he arrives at Shemaim, they say, yeah, listen, you didn't really give any tzedakah. You don't really have much. What do you mean? I gave 20000 that year. I gave 20000 that year. I gave 100000 that year. I gave this. I gave, I gave, I gave, I gave. Yes, you gave. But you gave it in such a way that was pure marketing. You didn't give it in disguise. You didn't give it behind the scenes. You didn't give it during the year when no one else was giving. You didn't give it, un, you know, anonymously. You gave it with a loud voice to beat the other guy from outbidding you. So everybody gave you kavod as if you're the strongest. You're the lion in the keilah. So most of your reward was given on that day. The kavod that everybody gave you, that was 75% of it. The business that the guy did with you because he thought you were so generous, that was another 10%. The business you got from the guy who thought that you were tzaddik, that's why you, you know, that's you got... So you got all of the reward during your lifetime. You have 0.1% left. We'll give you a reward for it. You'll get 50 years less in Gainom. So what does that make me? 9,950,000. So you understand? So the point is, is that people that are giving for the purpose of marketing, they're doing themselves a disservice. If you really care, you really want to give, give it anonymously. Give it when no one else is watching. If you're giving it when everyone else is watching, you're losing a big part of the mitzvah. Chazal says that you're going to regret the day you gave. Because by the time you arrive, what's left of the reward, you're going to feel bad about it. Because you're going to see what the value of the reward is in Shemaim versus the reward here is here. So all of this stems from gava. All of this stems from pride. People want to show off how much money they have so that's why also you'll see during the holidays, it's always a show and tell. Everybody comes with their best clothing. Everybody comes with a brand new uh, suit with the, uh, you know, with, the, with the boots framed from some, uh, some lion or some uh, alligator died to make them boots. And they all decide to park in front of the Beknesset. You make sure you see that they're brand new, I don't know, Mercedes, some class or whatever class that's $150,000, you know it belongs to them. And if, in case you don't know, they make sure to press that alarm a couple times. Oh, oh, that, oh, you saw? That's my car. You saw? That's my car. That's my car. They make sure that you see, like, like somebody's going to steal that car. The guy next to them has a more expensive car. The car, the clothes, and also you make sure they go like this all the time. Do you ever see those guys? Always like this. They don't, it's not a twitch. So you make, you make sure you see their watch, the giant watch that they have. You know, half of them are fake, but anyway, it looks real. 
So I see those guys. I was around those guys. I, I, I mean, I, I had some of those guys work for me. Um, it's, 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 it's the biggest joke in the world, especially with the guys that are fakers. Because I know they don't have any money. I write their paychecks. But they have a watch that looks like it's a $50,000 watch. I'm like, what do you mean $50,000? You make $4,000 last month. Unless you have a side business, that watch is fake. Why are you wearing a fake watch? What's wrong with you? Just get shredded Casio for $15. It's all show off. It's all show off. So, show off, it's despised by Hashem. And it has a whole Gemara about it several times uh, where he talks about it in the Gemara. And uh, here it says more, something more here. So, Hashem Itbarach says, concerning a person who possesses hardiness, who's uh, of spirit, someone that's a Baal Gava, someone that has pride, Hashem Itbarach, the Holy One, blessed is He, said, I and He cannot dwell together in the world. And it takes it from a uh, source in Psalm 101, uh, verse 5. As it says, he who slanders his neighbor, in, uh, I'm sorry, um, yeah, as it says, uh, he who slanders his neighbor in secret, him I will cut down. One with haughty eyes and an expansive heart, him I cannot bear. So in so many words, he says, the guy that is Baal uh, Gava, I can't stand him. I can't stand him. And it goes into, Mamash, it talks a lot of different things. Uh, people that have uh, Gava, it says, even if someone learns Torah, becomes a Talmud Chacham, it says, there's a Mishnah in Avot, uh, chapter 2, Mishnah 8. Uh, we actually learned it from Rebbe. It says, even if you learn a lot of Torah, you're not allowed to be proud of it. Even if you learn a lot of Torah, you have nothing to be proud of. Why? Who gave you the brain? Who gave you the chidushim? Who gave you the eyes? What are you so proud of? You're just fulfilling your purpose. You're just fulfilling your purpose. Like somebody going to the bathroom and being happy about going to the bathroom. You went to the bathroom. You had to go to the bathroom. What are you, so, what? you did it. It's like a lion eating a giraffe. You ever see a lion eating a giraffe? Hey, look, I ate a giraffe. No. That's what you're supposed You're hungry. You eat. Learning Torah. You're supposed to do it. What are you so proud about? Hashem gave you the brain. Hashem gave you the mind. Hashem gave you the chidush. Hashem gave you everything. Why are you so proud? What are you so proud about? And it's the Ramban in Igeret Taraban, the, the letter that he wrote his son. He says, "How does what's an analogy comparing of uh, how Hashem views a person that's proud?" He says it's like the cleaning person in the king's castle. Stole the robe, stole the, the king's robe while he's cleaning, he's vacuuming. He's vacuuming, vacuuming, vacuuming the king's place. And you know, the king is running the world or running the country that he has. He has multiple robes. So the cleaning guy stole the robe, he put the robe on himself. And while he's cleaning, he's wearing the king's robe, but instead he's made the robe into like uh, telling people what to do, but he's telling nothing. He's talking to himself in the mirror. He says, That's a guy that's proud. He stole the king's robe and he's acting like the king, but he's not the king because as soon as the king shows up, he's going to become nothing again. What are you so proud about? It's not even your robe. Even the robe is not yours. Is? Can the king be proud that he's a king? Who made him a king? 
That's the problem. When you think you're better than everybody, that's the problem. Because you're not better than everybody. You were just given a different opportunity than them. Just a different opportunity, which we'll go into now. Um, it says, a Kadosh Baruch Hu says, look at how different you are from me. Because always explain, look how different you are from me. Midat basar badam, the manner of a creature of flesh and blood, an exalted person views another exalted person as someone who's desirable, meaning one rich guy looks at another rich guy, he says, ah, that's the guy I want to do business with. He doesn't look at the homeless guy, he's like, ah, this guy's uh, the next great thing. You ever see a rich guy look at the homeless guy, see anything positive? No. What does he do? He gives him five bucks, thinks that he just saved his life. Hey, but remember me, remember me, right? I give, I'm the one that gave you the five dollars. So why you gave him five dollars? So why? So, and the reason why he gave him five dollars because he had some girl that he was walking next to and he wanted to impress her like he's a tzaddik. Even the five dollars he didn't give him for the right reason. But anyway, he says, Midat Basavadam, they only view people that are in their level. They view as their level, as someone that's desirable. High society. High society. But an exalted person doesn't view a lowly person as desirable. They view anybody that's below them as nothing. I remember this guy I used to work for, Machshimo, his name was Tommy. I can't even say his full name. He's like Beetlejuice, this guy. You say his name three times, he shows up. Anyway, this guy, I think that uh, when Hashem created Gava, he gave nine to him and one to the rest of the world. One of the things this guy enjoyed is insulting people. But not insulting him in a way of calling them foolish or stupid or anything like that, but much destroying them. Like Amalek. Amalek, he would, uh, I remember all these, these guys, he would make guys stand up all day for no reason. He'd uh, insult them in such ways. After I eventually quit, obviously I worked for him and he tried insulting me and I told him no chance and he didn't like that. So uh, anyway, I left, but I, I, somebody told me after I left that he took extra, all the stuff that he wanted to do to me, he took it out on the rest of the guys that were left and one of the guys that was left, supposedly, I don't know, man, this, I, I don't really pass it, he made this guy wear a diaper in, at work, at the office, just to get a kick out of it. Just to get a kick out of it. And the poor kid ended up doing it because he needed a job. So some people are mamash amalek. Some people are mamash, like evil, evil people. They get off on seeing other people be embarrassed. In Wall Street, unfortunately, this is very common. In general, most uh, places that have a lot of money in them, this type of behavior is very, very common. Where they feel like they don't have enough unless you're down. There's certain types of personalities where their success is not enough. They need to know that everyone else lost. So sometimes you'll see a rich guy be upset. Why? Because his young nephew just made a thousand bucks on some, I don't know, he sold some baseball cards or something. And it's, it's eating the guy up. 
The guy's a multimillionaire, has a house, $5 million. Each car sitting in, the, in, in his garage is worth more than this guy's net worth times 100. But he made $1,000 selling juice. He made, I don't know, $1,000 selling some type of subscription to something. Whatever, a little young kid, and it's eating the guy up. How could he sell it? Like, it's bothering him. Why? Because he's the type of personality, he's so arrogant, that he feels like no one is allowed to succeed unless they have his permission. Mamash, this is a sick, sick mentality, but it exists in the world. There's people like this. He didn't give him a blessing. Giving him money does not mean blessing. That's not a blessing. It's not a blessing. Giving him money is not a blessing. Okay, what's my proof? Okay, so let's answer this question. So I actually mentioned this in previous shooting, but I was hoping you guys would remember it and answer it on your own. But this is not a, but I guess apparently somebody on, at home doesn't know. You guys know. Somebody at home probably doesn't know. He never watched that shoe. So when you get money from Hashem, it's not a sign that Hashem loves you. It's not a sign that it's a blessing. And in, in fact, when you see somebody that's sinning against Hashem, get reward, what looks like a reward, gets material, gets money, gets uh, all types of material in this world, you should do something to help him. Why? He is the most miserable person on earth, and he doesn't even know it yet. Why? Because at the end of Parashat Vayetchanan, Deuteronomy, in the last three verses, chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, it actually talks about this. In verse 10 it says, Hashem pays His enemies in their lifetime to make them perish. So what happens is that when someone goes against Hashem, Hashem keeps giving them opportunities to do tshuva. He sends the rabbi to their house. He sends a CD to their house. He puts the recommended on their YouTube. He gets them somehow to land on bezlatashem.org. He gets them to open a, get a kiruv package. He gets them to, uh, I don't know, get uh, all types of different opportunities to do tshuva. But the guy is rasha. The guy doesn't want to do tshuva. A year, two years, three years, four years pass, doesn't want to do tshuva. Hashem says, okay, fine. No problem. You don't want to do tshuva. No more tshuva for you. But you did a few mitzvot somewhere along your life. I have to pay you for them. But since you are mechalel Shabbat, you have no olam haba. You have mechalel Shabbat, you have no world to come. You have no ganeidin. You're destroyed after this world. So that means I have to pay you for whatever reward I owe you now. So the guy did tefillin a few times in his life, gave some tzedakah a few times in his life, did a few mitzvot, accidentally or on purpose, Hashem starts paying him now. All of a sudden the guy hits it big on Wall Street. All of a sudden the guy hits it big in uh, Bitcoin or something. All of a sudden the guy starts printing money and he thinks, oh look, I don't have to keep mitzvot and I'm killing it. I'm doing great. Yeah, you're doing great, but wait till you see why. Wait till you see why. This is also why sometimes you'll see people that do tshuva, immediately after they do tshuva, they start losing money. And the reason why is because until they did tshuva, Hashem actually gave up on them. Hashem gave up on them and said, I have to start paying you now. So He starts paying. He doesn't pay, pay them all one day, but He starts paying them for whatever mitzvot they had. But then they do tshuva. He's like, oh, okay, you know what? You did tshuva? Okay, great. Okay, so let me just take some of that back and give it to you in Olam Abba. So in essence, him taking their money back, taking his money back, is uh, doing them a favor. 
because the reward is much bigger in Allah Abba. But nonetheless, when somebody gets money, it's definitely not a guarantee that it's a blessing. Sometimes it's actually a curse. Sometimes it's like somebody having cancer, but he doesn't know it. So if somebody knew that he has cancer, he'd go to the doctor, try to get treatment, and uh, spend his last years doing something useful. The guy that has cancer doesn't know it. What does he do? He goes to work every day and works overtime for a vacation he's never going to be able to take. Understand? So it's a, uh, the fact that the guy gets a lot of money does not mean in any stretch of the imagination it's guaranteed to be a blessing. Hashem specifically says it in the Torah. Now, when uh, here in, uh, Hashem is talking to us, He's saying the uh, manner of a uh, people is to look at rich people and want to do business with them. Look at rich people and want to marry them. Look at rich people and want to be like them. Look at poor people and say, ah, this is nothing. This is the manner of people. Midat HaKadosh Baruch However, the manner of Hashem Barach, of the Holy One, blessed is He, is not like this. He is the most exalted. He is the highest. There's no one at His height. He is the most exalted. And everyone that He sees is below Him. Everyone that He sees is lowly. Everyone that He sees is nothing because they're all His creations. But yet, he sees the lowly, the one that's humble, as the great one. Someone that's humble, someone that doesn't have arrogance, someone that knows the source of all good in the world, the source of all bad, the source of everything, and the fact that the bad is even good. Someone that knows the source, knows the makom. Someone that knows it, he says, him. He's big, he's great, he's amazing. He's my favorite. He's my chosen. That's who's special. So, Hashem views the world quite the opposite of the way we view the world. We view people that are rich as people that are smart. I can tell you from experience, most people that are rich are not necessarily smart. Many people that are rich are not necessarily smart. Just because somebody has money does not mean they're smart. It also doesn't mean they're good. Uh, It just means that Hashem gave him money for whatever reason he decided. That's his business. But the point is that just people connect things that are not related. So Rabbi Levitas says that when it comes to arrogance, you have to be extra stringent on not having much of it. And the reason why is because having any type of arrogance already makes you hated by Hashem Barach. There was a story I told you guys, uh, I think last week or the week before, uh, there was a king named Hiram. That Hashem blessed him. How did he bless him? He gave him a lot of money. Why did he give him a lot of money? He made a mitzvah. Shlomo HaMelech was building the Bet HaMikdash. And he needed a certain type of wood. He needed a certain type of wood. That this king, Hiram, actually happened to have. So Shlomo HaMelech didn't have the wood. He wants to build the Bet HaMikdash. Hashem had specific specifications on how he wants to build the Bet HaMikdash. So he goes to this king, Hiram. He's like, listen... I need uh, the wood. If you want and he didn't want it for free. He paid him a lot. Of, he paid him extra for it. It's not like uh, Shlomo Melech didn't have money. He paid him extra for it. But this Hiram was a chamol, was a donkey. What happened? He thought that just because he uh, sold him some wood that's being used for the house of God, that made him God. So he built himself a castle with seven levels separated by water, 
just like Hashem has seven levels of, uh, of, of, of heavens separating him from us, he had uh, a castle like this, and Mamash acted as if he's God. So Hashem sent the prophet to him, and made the prophet fly in the air to arrive at his, where he was. And he says, Hashem is sending you a message. Ubarati nekavim nekavim. In the Gemara, Masechet Baba Kama, page 75, it says that, uh, I'm sorry, Baba Batra, uh, says, uh, page 75, says that um, Hashem actually told them, when I created the world, I knew that you're going to, I knew I was going to create you at some point. And I knew that just because you made one thing that you thought was like a, you made business, but you turned it into the biggest mitzvah in history. You turned yourself into an idol. You have such gava that I knew that just because of you alone, you're enough of a reason for me to create holes in the body. Why? Because that every time somebody goes to the, to the bathroom, it reminds them, it should remind them they're nothing. Every time somebody goes to the bathroom, that should remove all arrogance they have in their body. All of it. Why? Think about it. Whatever came into your body was beautiful, delicious, smelled good. The apple was pretty. The steak was good. Everything was good when it came into your body. Everything comes out of your body is disgusting. And this body that you're so proud of, what's eventually going to happen to it? Rabbi Levitas is telling you, eventually, worms are going to eat it. All you're doing is you're celebrating something that's going to become worm food. What are you so proud about? What are you so excited about? So he told this Hiram, he says, you're so proud, you made yourself into a God, but God, the real God, is making you a promise now. What's the promise? He's going to send somebody here. And that somebody is going to cut you up into little pieces. Are you still going to tell him you're God while he's cutting you up? And that's exactly what happened. Hashem sent Nebuchadnezzar. He sent Nebuchadnezzar to him. And Nebuchadnezzar was very vicious. He was related to him. He was very, very vicious. And he must cut him into little pieces but kept him alive to watch himself die. He got a very unusual death. He would cut every day a little piece, a pinky, Another pinky. Mamash, a very unusual, vicious death. Why? Remind them. What are you proud about? Are you telling the Bukhanetzi your God now while he's cutting you up into little pieces? So this is how much Hashem hates pride. Hashem Mamash despises it. It's considered someone that's a uh, someone that's proud. Even uh, you know, it's considered what he's considered Ta'avat Hashem, he's considered disgusting to Hashem. Because he, in essence, has turned himself into an idol. And Hashem doesn't have any mercy on such a person. Now, of course, with other midot in general, people need to know where to have a middle ground, where to have, be extreme. So, for example, mercy, to be merciful, uh, to be merciful seems like a mitzvah and a midah, a character trait that you should be a machmiran. You should be extra stringent on being merciful. But that's also not true. You should be middle ground just like the Rambam says. Why? 
if you're ultra merciful, you'll have mercy on the wrong people. And in the uh, Gemara, and also it says it in Mesilat uh, Yesharim, you're not allowed to have mercy on wicked people. Thank you. So where do we learn this from? We learn this from King Shaul. King Saul, after he listened to Hashem to go into a fight with, Amal, uh, with Amalek, which is mentioned in this week's parasha, at the end of this week's parasha, it's uh, the mitzvah of destroying Amalek. Now, King Shaul had an opportunity to destroy Amalek. Hashem sent him to go destroy Amalek, and he went and he beat him to war, but then he saw Agag. Agag was their king, and Agag was like a little scrawny little nothing. That's what the Chazal says. He was like a nothing. He was like a little skinny, little short little guy. Somehow he led the uh, Amalek. And uh, Shaul said, what is this guy going to do? What is he going to do? Nothing. The guy is a nothing. He can't even lift the sword. Forget about doing anything with the sword. Can't do anything. On top of it, he has nothing. I killed everybody else. So I'll just leave him alive. And all the uh, sheep that he has, all the uh, th- I'll take it and I'll use it for korbanot. I'll do mitzvah with it. But here in the, in the mitzvah, in Parashat Kititzeh, I'll give you a little chidush about it. It says, "Zachor et Asher Asalecha Amalek b'derech b'tzedchem in Yitzrayim, Asher karcha." It's actually at the end. It says, You shall wipe out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget. So Chazal says, Why doesn't it say you should wipe out uh, the memory of Amalek without the word et? So it adds a word here, the superfluous word in the Hebrew language is an extra word, et, which means the. But in English, it's, uh, it's not necess- in Hebrew, it's not necessary as it is in English. Um, uh, it could just say, Timche Zecher Amalek. So Chazal says that when we destroy Amalek, it's destroying even the memory of him and anyone that acts like him. And anything that belongs to him. So from here we learn a few things. Number one, when uh, Shaul didn't kill all of the and destroy all of the uh, sheep and cattle that Agag had, he made a mistake. Why? Because Hashem says destroy anything that's connected to them. We don't need their korbanot. We don't need them to have any merit whatsoever. Why? Because they're our enemies. They're enemies of God. Second thing is, when he had mercy on, on Agag, he made a very big mistake. Why? Hashem says you're supposed to not only wipe them out, wipe out even a memory of them let alone them themselves. So what ended up happening is that Agag ended up sleeping with one of the uh, maidservants in the uh, in a jail over there, and from them came Haman. And Haman almost destroyed all of Am Yisrael. From that little bit of mercy that we thought it was a mitzvah ended up being almost a destruction of the, of the Jewish people. And last but not least, here we also learned that Amalek doesn't necessarily have to come from the Goin. Amalek could also come from the Jews. This is the biggest part of the Chidush. Somebody asked me uh, a few days ago about, uh, you know, there was a video we made 
about uh, how um, uh, part of the uh, yeah, part of the book uh, to, to remain a Jew. Uh, how Rabbi, Rabbi Zilber says that all of these wicked people previous, you know, prior to the Holocaust and during the Holocaust, you know, that assisted the Nazis, some of them were Jews, Russian Jews and other type of European Jews. And he says they were Amalek. So someone asked, how could it be that they're Amalek if they're Jews? Because Amalek is not necessarily just a nation that came from Esav. Amalek is also a, uh, a behavior. It's people that hate God. People that hate God, hate people that are specifically doing things to anger Hashem. So, for example, uh, one of the examples is like, for example, you want to build a uh, shul. And some secular guy, secular Jew says, no, no, don't build it here. Why not? I don't want shul to be, I don't want the religious people to be next to my house. So that's Amalek. Why? Because there's no, what, what's wrong with there being a shul in his neighborhood? If anything, it bring, increases the value. But some people hate God so much and hate His Torah so much that they've mamash become Amalek. And the Erev Rav is Amalek. So sometimes it comes from bad converts. Sometimes it comes from just really, really bad Jews. Uh, so this is... Why does God keep them alive? Because God also promised Moshe Rabbeinu that He's only going to destroy them at the end of time. It's going to be part of the uh, Messianic uh, process. When the Mashiach comes, it's going to be part of the mission is to destroy Amalek. Yeah. No, when Amalek dies, you say, Baruch Hashem, and they'll feel married. There's no, you're not allowed to have mercy on Amalek. You're not allowed to have mercy on Amalek. I know it sounds heartless, but in reality, someone that's an enemy of God, is, uh, is, there's no mercy on them. There's no mercy on people like that. Um, people that uh, people just do things because they want to make God angry. They just hate uh, Judaism. I mean, sometimes I see people that, uh, Mamash, their entire purpose is to find something wrong in a religious people, and to highlight it. They find any little uh, religious-looking guy that slips on a banana the wrong way, and they put it on YouTube, they put it on, excuse me, they put it on Facebook, they put it everywhere in the world to publicize it, as it becomes a big chilul Hashem. Unfortunately, some people do stupid things, and they get caught, and Hashem is actually, this is actually one of the prophecies of what Hashem promised. Hashem says, actually, in the, one of the klalot, next week's parasha, you're going to learn, is someone that makes a sin in hiding, one of his punishments is that Hashem is going to publicize it. He's going to be caught making that sin in public. This is also going to be one of the things that's going to happen during the Mashiach. When the Mashiach arrives, the Gemara says it's going to be three surprises. There's three surprises in a person's life. One of them is finding something, finding like a wallet. Anytime you find a wallet and it's full of cash, it's a surprise. Another thing that's a surprise is getting stung by a scorpion. Why? Because you n- couldn't imagine this little thing is so dangerous. Creates so much pain. And no one's ever expecting to be stung by a scorpion. Just the thought of scorpion, I always want to run. Just to see one is scary. So, scorpion is a surprise, Gemara says. He says the last surprise is going to be Mashiach. Mashiach is going to surprise everyone. Why is Mashiach going to surprise everyone? Because the way Hashem is structuring the world 
is that all of those people that make sins in hiding, all of those people that make sins in general, the Mashiach is going to come at the very moment you're making that sin. To all of those people that are like hidden in the closet, closet homosexuals, but they look like tzaddikim, he's going to catch you, you're going to be in a big screen with your boyfriend or girlfriend. All those immodest women that like to walk around half naked, but you know they pretend like they're tzaddikot on Shabbat because they read Tehillim, the Mashiach is going to come at the very same time you decided to wear the most immodest thing in your closet. Mashiach is going to arrive, they're going to announce it on all the, uh, in the sky they're going to announce it. Mashiach is here, they go, there's a big shofar. Everything is this. What are you wearing? You're wearing a mini skirt. You're wearing a mini skirt and a tank top. So Mashiach arrived, he's going to see you like this. All of those guys that are stealing, theft going to be highlighted in the sky. Why? That's part of the punishment. All of those people that make sins in hiding, that one part of the punishment is for that to be uh, to be highlighted to the world. So everyone knows this guy, he's not going to get punished or destroyed by Hashem Barach because he was righteous. He made you guys think he's righteous, but in reality he's an arrogant fool. He stole from everyone, but he did it with a smile, so you thought that he was just taking, collecting money for tzedakah. There's plenty of people like that, that they collect tzedakah money, but in reality they use it for themselves. And they tell you, no, 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 Rabbi this, and Rabbi this, and Rabbi this, told me to uh, collect on his behalf, on his behalf, Rabbi this, and Rabbi this, and Rabbi that, I don't even know you exist. Fake signatures, fake letters, fake causes, fake everything. All those sinners, eventually it's all going to get exposed. When? Surprise! Surprise! It's like Madoff. I mean, listen, Madoff thought that he was never going to get caught. Eventually he did. Oh, Hashem, I don't watch TV. Miskinim. Miskinim that they live that life. Miskinim that they're even on TV. Miskinim they watch TV themselves. Ken, that's also in his all. Yeah, it's his all. Yeah, it's his all. Also. So, here we see that um, you have a uh, big, big law from Hashem to not be a gavtan. But now I'm going to give you a chidush that you already know. It's not really chidush. But you probably never noticed it. Now one of the re- one of the things that someone that's arrogant needs, just like we need air, the arrogant person needs attention. Arrogant person needs attention. He needs everyone to know, I am here. I have arrived. So that's why they're flashy... That's why they're loud. You ever go, you're like in the airport or at a restaurant, and there's always at least one guy extra loud on his phone. Yeah, yeah, we bought the house. Yeah. Now it was 1.2, no, not 1 million, 1.2 million. One, the whole airport knows you got the house for 1.2 million. Yeah, no, no, the 1.2 million. No, well, next week we're going to buy the 1.7 million. On the other line, usually it's Dell. Uh, sir, your tech support is finished. We're going to send you the computer in two weeks. But he's making pretend like he just made this deal. It's usually like Dell or something, or it's the phone company. Or it's a collection company because he's going broke. But anyway, 
He's arrogant. He wants the world to think he's chashuv. He's chashuv. He's very important. So he talks extra loud on the phone. He's also usually extra obnoxious with the way he appears. You know, sometimes you can see these guys with like extra flashy clothes. And it's like loud, loud personalities. So they need a lot of attention. Arrogant people need a lot of attention. They thrive on attention. They thrive on attention. They do everything they do for attention. Now, the truth is that Hashem hates proud people so much that He has an entire nation, an entire nation, pray against them every day. So imagine, the only attention you want is for people to say, Chazaku Baruch, you're great, you're wonderful, you're this, you're that, to compliment you. They thrive on compliments. You give a proud person a compliment, you, it's like for him, you just bought yourself a lamaba. But in reality, what he doesn't realize is that every morning, all of the religious people that attend synagogue or pray every morning, they're actually praying for Hashem to destroy him. Every day, Am Yisrael prays to destroy this guy. What is it? It's every day in Shachrit, before Amidah. Before Amidah, after Shema Yisrael. After Shema Yisrael, it says there's a Teilim, most of Tefillah is Teilim. It says, Mashpil Geim Adearetz, Magbiya Shfalim Admarom, Motsiya Sirim Podea Navim, and so on. So it says, right before you, uh, the paragraph that you say right before Amidah, it says, it talks about Hashem, the greatness of Hashem Barach. And it says here, it starts, the paragraph that starts with Ezrat Abotenu, Atau Me'olam, the helper of our fathers, you've been here forever. Magenu Moshiach Laim, you're the shield, the savior for all of them, for their children, and so on. You're saying, you're giving Hashem all these compliments. So part of the compliments that you're saying towards the end of this section is what Hashem does to certain people. He says, um, we give special blessing and thanksgiving to the King, the living God, the enduring, the high, the uplifted, the great and awesome God who brings down the arrogant to nothing, to the ground, and brings up the lowly to high places. So now you, Mr. Proud, Mr. Arrogant, Mr. Showoff, Mr. Nothing, you want attention. So Hashem is giving to you every day. An entire nation of people is praying for your destruction every day. Every day. You go to Beknesset. Many times these proud people go to Beknesset. You know, when they go to Beknesset, they make sure everybody knows, hey, I'm here. Now it's a minyan. What do you mean? We had 75 people before you. No, no, now you can start. Oh, you started without me? Oh, I'm not going to. They go home. Start without me and go home. Say, no, 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 don't worry. Even when you're not here, we already pray about you. Even when you're not here, we're already talking about you. You talk about me? Yeah, yeah, it's in tefillah. Hashem loves you so much, you're in tefillah. When? Here, we're cursing you. We're saying, we can't wait for Hashem to destroy you. That's the proud person. So imagine, Hashem Barach hates proud people so much that he gave the wisdom to the sages to write this and say, this, this is one of several places, by the way, several places in tefillah, we pray against the proud. He says, entire nation is praying against you. Why? What are you so proud about? What are you so proud? For what? Everything you have is not yours. Everything is on loan. Everything is on loan. Money, not yours. You can't take it with you to Allah Rabbah. Hashem gave it to you. 
with or without you wanting it. Your body, you run fast, so there's a cheetah. Okay, so you're closer to being a cheetah than a human being. Oh, you lift a lot of weights, so there's a donkey. Okay, so you're closer to being a donkey. So you tell a guy that can lift a building on his head, oh, by the way, you're like three donkeys. You're probably not going to survive the week, but the point is, is that, what is he? So, you're so happy that you're strong, you're so proud that you're strong, donkey's strong. A cheetah is fast. What are you so proud about? For what? So that's the thing. So it's, Hashem is telling you something extraordinary here. He's telling you that, I looked at you and I created holes in the body because all people that were extra proud, Hashem gave them an opportunity to do tshuva daily. How did He give them an opportunity to do tshuva daily? When they went to the bathroom. As awful as that sounds, that's exactly a time where a person needs to realize they're nothing. So for example, Paro, Paro Arasha, also made himself into a, uh, into a god. And how did he make himself into a god? He convinced everyone. He told people he doesn't go to the bathroom. But he has a castle. People are going to see he's going, there's, there's a bathroom there. And he goes to the bathroom. He says, no, no, I don't go to the bathroom. So how did he hide it? He made a law that no one's allowed to leave the house at a certain hour of the day, early in the morning. And that's why Hashem, if you look at the Psukim, in Sefer Shmot, in Exodus, you'll see that Hashem says, go meet him early in the morning. Where? By the river. Why? Because he's going to the bathroom. Namash. Because he's going to the Go meet him when he's going to the bathroom. Show him that we know his secret. You're not God, you're not nothing. Yesterday you had diarrhea. Next week you're going to have uh, constipation. You're nothing. What are you making yourself into a God? Huh? Well, listen, for, for, for arrogance and for, for, for things like that, people will do anything for it. People will pretend there are a lot of things. So that's one thing. There's also Bar Kochba. Bar Kochba also had an opportunity to, uh, to do tshuva. He didn't do tshuva. He got killed when he was going to the bathroom. Hashem sent a snake to him and he killed him while he was going to the bathroom. There was also another guy. Uh, the name starts with a D, but I forget the name. He, uh, he was a very, very powerful person. They say that when he jumped, he jumped a kilometer in the air. He was very powerful, superpowers. According to our standards, he was like a superhero. And he said, and he became very proud of this strength that Hashem gave him. And he said to Hashem, listen, during the time of the Bet HaMikdash, the destruction of Bet HaMikdash, it talks about this, and it says, he tells to Hashem, listen, you decide to leave us, the enemy is here, you decide to leave us, okay, leave it to me. As if he became God. So Hashem, what did he do? When he was going to the bathroom, he had a snake come to him and eat his stomach. He had an opportunity to do tshuva. Why did he send it during the time he going to the bathroom? Because during the time he's going to the bathroom, you're reminded every day that you're nothing. Everything good comes out of your body disgusting. And on top of that, you're, you need Hashem even to go to the bathroom. What are you so proud about? So this is a, uh, a thing that Hashem is reminding us extensively throughout the entire Torah to such an extent that even when someone learns a lot of Torah, they're not allowed to use it for proud reasons. For, they're not allowed to be proud of it. Why? Because that's your purpose. That's your purpose in life. The story of Eliyahu and Navi one time came to visit. And uh, during the, it says in the Gemara, during one of the times, 
They passed by a dead animal. There was a dead animal in the street. Sometimes it happens. It was very smelly. So Rabbi Yitzchak covered his face. It's disgusting. And by the way, you're not allowed to pray or learn Torah in places that smells bad. This is why you're not allowed to do the blessing inside the bathroom. It's a public bathroom. It smells bad. Uh, this is why that, uh, you know, if let's say, for example, you have kids, and one of your kids, you know, had, uh, is a, has a diaper on and the diaper smells, you're not allowed to pray or, or uh, learn Torah next to him. You have to change the diaper or you have to put the kid somewhere else. Um, so bad smell is very, uh, you know, very negative in, uh, as far as holiness is concerned. So Rabbi Yitzchak passes the smelly dead animal. Anyone ever smell a dead animal? It's awful. And uh, he covers his face, but the Yawanavi, not affected, passes by it. They get to the Beknesset, the president of the Beknesset, tall, handsome, rich guy, comes out, and immediately the Yawanavi covered his face, ooh, like something died. So Rabbi Yitzchak, after the president left and everyone left, he asked the Yawanavi, like, Lamdeni, teach me, what happened here? Teach me. When we passed the dead animal, it didn't bother you. Okay, maybe I don't know, maybe in Shemaim they remove your sense of smell or something. Okay, fine, that was easy for me to understand. Maybe you don't smell it. But when the guy that's tall, handsome, groomed, rich, powerful, present of the shul, come out, you covered your face like it was 50 dead animals. Why? He says, when the guy passed by me, his gava was so big, it's disgusting to me because I know how much Hashem hates it. His head is so high in the sky, so high in the sky, he's disgusting, he's revolting because now I, can, I sense the spirituality of the person, it's revolting in Shemaim. It's disgusting. So, okay, fine. So how come when we pass by the dead animal, it didn't bother you? He says, because the dead animal, it's not his fault that it died. At least it had nice teeth. It had one good thing about it. The dead animal had nice teeth. It had one good thing, uh, good thing about it. The president guy of the shul had nothing good about him. Why? Because everything he was doing, he was only doing because of pride. Um, so when we're talking about now as far as Betkneset, for tefillah, you asked one of the questions about tefillah. When we pronounce, when we read, of course, it's important for us to try our best to pronounce the words that we're saying, but it's even more important for us to understand the words. It's more important for us to understand what we're saying than it is to pronounce it a certain way. So this is one of the mistakes that many people make in regards to learning Torah and, uh, and, and, uh, and praying, is that most people think that it's more important to speak or make the sounds of the Hebrew language, then actually understand what it says. This is an awful, awful mistake. And the reason why is because many people in Amisa do not speak Hebrew. Even the ones that know how to make the sounds. But Hashem is not punishing them for not knowing how to speak Hebrew. He punishes them for making sins. And they make sins because they don't understand what they're saying. So the beauty of Judaism at this stage of our life, in the days of Mashiach, is that Hashem made it very easy to learn Torah. In every language, Russian, French, Spanish, English, Hebrew, name a language, there's probably a Sefer Torah and a lot of rules written in that language. 
which means that it's more important for Hashem Barach that you actually understand what you're saying than actually say it in the Hebrew language. Now, one of the great ways that we could actually uh, prove this is just look at the Sfarim, look at the books of some of the sages in previous generations. For example, the uh, Ma'am Loez, the series, the very famous Midrash, Ma'am Loez, that includes between 500 to 1,000 sources in every Midrash that he writes, Rabbi Kuli was Kodesh Kodeshim. He wrote it in Ladino. He didn't write it in Hebrew. He knew Hebrew better than anybody else in his generation, but he wrote it in Ladino. Ladino is a different language. It's like uh, it's the equivalent of what Yiddish is to German, Ladino is to Spanish. So, uh, the Rabbi Kuli, who used to fast a week at a time, wrote in Ladino. It then was translated many years later to English, and only then to Hebrew. Hebrew was the third stage. Same thing with the Rambam. Rambam wrote many of his books in Arabic. He knew Hebrew. He knew Hebrew better than anybody else in our generation. He wrote in Arabic. Why? Because it was more important for him to make sure that people understood what it said, what it means, then, uh, then actually uh, the, the Hebrew language itself. Now, where is it important to know Hebrew? It's important to know Hebrew when you're studying specific verses as far as specific things within the Torah itself when you're reading Torah, when you're, learn, when you're reading Torah, you're, let's say, for example, the Baal Koreh, the one that reads the Torah publicly in the, the Chazan, uh, or the Baal Koreh in, uh, on Shabbat, or on, uh, on Monday and Thursday, and on Chagim, and Rosh Chodesh, he has to read the Torah in Hebrew language, and he has to pronounce the words in a specific way, because there's certain halachot uh, that are pertaining to that. But you, as a person that's sitting in the crowd, when you're learning Torah during the week, what Shulchan Aruch that says, you have to read the Torah twice, and commentary once. Reading the Torah twice means you need to understand what it says. So if you're just making sounds in Hebrew, but you don't understand a word that you're saying, it's its effect of whether you actually even fulfill the mitzvah. Why? Because you're just making sounds. Donkey also makes sounds. He doesn't get a lamaba. So it's very, very important that you actually make the, you know what you're saying, so you should read it at least once in Hebrew if you know Hebrew, and at least once in the language that you actually understand. Now, where is it problematic in regards to the pronunciation? Is that sometimes people that read it in Hebrew, don't really know Hebrew very well, which is the vast majority of people, including Israelis, including people that are naturally born speaking Hebrew, and they mispronounce words when they turn, let's say, for example, there's a word that you can say one way, it means friend, another pronunciation means enemy. If you mispronounce it a certain way, it means enemy. Or one, it could be blessing, another one could be the opposite. So there's certain words that you pronounce them wrong way, uh, and it could be a very, very big problem. Or, for example, there is sometimes people pray really fast, which is 99.9% of people, which means that no single word is legible. Not even a single word is legible in any language. Why? Because they pray fast, or they're eating words. They eat the words, it's fast. They go really, really fast. Does Hashem accept their prayer? Of course He accepts their prayer. Why? Because He knows what they're saying. He knows what they're saying. So whoever told you that uh, someone that mispronounces a word, it's uh, they, uh, you know, it's not. It's like they didn't pray, or especially if it has to do with the whole sinat chinam issue of Ashkenazi versus Sephardi, Sephardi versus Ashkenazi, he's wrong. And the best proof of that is that the only one that everyone agrees is the most likely to be correct 
is neither the Ashkenazi or the Sephardi. It's the Yemenite. The only one that everyone agrees is most likely to be the most authentic version of Hebrew is the Yemenite. And no one speaks like it other than Yemenites in Yemen. So if you really want to, if you want to call spade to spade of how to pronounce the words, okay, start saying ka and ah, and start speaking in a way that's unusual to you. So that's the thing. They, they, it's, 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 no one is pronouncing the words correctly anywhere. So the key is understand what you're saying. Now, of course, there's a certain ma'ala, there's a certain merit and elevation for you to speak in Svata Kodesh and understand it much better than to just say it in English. Of course, it's preferable that you say it uh, in Hebrew and understand what you're saying. Because Chazal wrote the Sidu, you know, Sidu is called is from Mesudal, meaning it's organized in a certain way. They wrote the Sidu in a certain way where they knew that those specific sounds are pleasing in Shemaim. To make those sounds in Shemaim is pleasing to Hashem. What that means, I don't know. All I know is that it's pleasing to Hashem. And the sages wrote, certain, they put certain psalms, certain uh, teilim, in certain parts of the prayer, and certain brachot, in certain parts of their prayer, and they knew that the sounds of the proper pronunciation of those blessings in Hebrew is pleasing in Shemaim. So if you can do it, of course do it. But if you can't do it, then you still uh, uh, you know, should obviously understand what you're saying. It's more important for you to understand what you're saying than to just pronounce it in a certain way. Uh, I think I answered all the questions about Hashem. The what? Prediction of Rabbi Akiva. I think we answered it, didn't we? So as far as Rabbi Akiva, like I said in the beginning, every one of us is given an opportunity by being given certain traits. So the Rambam explains it uh, in Sefer Kedusha, that when he talks about Midot, is that there are certain things, certain Midot, that you're given that uh, are part of your predisposition, that are part of you. You're more inclined, for example, certain people are more connected to blood. Certain people are more connected to things that are hot. So they're more likely to be angry. Uh, they're more likely to possibly be a murderer or be a surgeon or be a butcher and so on. There's certain things that are part of your nature that Hashem gives you, but there's certain things that are part of your nurture, meaning your surroundings. So whatever Sigmund Freud, who was a very wicked person, uh, he came up with, he actually stole his entire thinking process as far as nature versus nurture from the Rambam from 900 years ago. Everything he wrote is actually in the Rambam, in, in, in the Mishneh Torah. The whole aspect of nature versus nurture, it's in the Rambam. Hashem Barach gave you certain things that you have a predisposition of, but there are certain things you will add to your life as a result of seeing other people in your surroundings do. So for example, somebody may have uh, the inclination to be, I don't know, very, uh, you know, um, low temper type of person, very, uh, you know, just like regular, normal, doesn't flip out or anything. But you put this guy on a football team, and all of a sudden he sees that all the guys are very inspired by the coach that beats up everyone and yells at everyone every two seconds. Within a couple of years, this little mild, little-mannered kid is going to become into a little uh, beast. Start yelling at everybody. Why? Because that's what he saw. He saw not only did he see this negative behavior, 
but he saw that this negative behavior is being rewarded. So therefore, within a couple of years, this kid can become easily angry. So the Rambam is explaining that there is certain things that Hashem gives you that will make you more and uh, more inclined to be certain things, but only if you use them. So Hashem will give you, for example, high IQ. But unless you exercise that part of you, you're never going to become a big thinker, a big chacham. So if Hashem gave you a very big IQ, but all day you want to smoke pot, and all day you want to hang out with the guys, then you're never going to become a very famous Talmud chacham or anything. Why? You're a loser because you're smoking pot all day and hanging out with the guys and doing nothing with your life. Hashem gave it to you. He gave you the inclination to be something special. You didn't use the tool. So it's not Hashem's fault. So Hashem gave uh, Rabbi Akiva the Midah. He had very, very good Midot. There's a very famous story about uh, uh, a person that uh, was a Baalabite, had a person work for him for a few years. And after a few years, he said, listen, I'm going to go home. So can you pay me the money, the Parnassah, that I've worked for you for all these last few years? And the Baalabite says, no, I don't have the money. He says, okay, fine, so can you give me some fruits and vegetables? Sorry, I don't have any money. I don't have any fruits. He sees the fruits are over there. He says, okay, so give me some of your cattle. He's the one that took care of all the cattle. He says, no, I'm sorry, I don't have any cattle. He says, okay, give me uh, your land. You have a bunch of land, you have property. He says, sorry, I don't have any property. He's standing on a property, 500 acres. And the guy says, okay, thank you. And he leaves. Goes to the house, holiday. After the holiday, he sees that his boss came and he's giving him the money. Came all the way to him, far away, giving him the money. He says, but when I told you I don't have any money, what did you think? What did you think? You think I was cheating you? He goes, no, my people, I didn't think you were cheating me. I just thought that you probably committed all of your money for some type of chesed that you were doing. You gave it in stakat. He goes, what about the vegetables? I thought the vegetables, you probably make it a tuma for Beit HaMikdash. What about the cattle? I thought maybe you lent the cattle out to somebody. And what about the property? Because I thought maybe you used the property was really collateral for some very big deal that you had. And he says, and there was a few other things that I'm not remembering. And he says, everything you said is exactly what happened. But I can't believe you gave me the kaf's schut. So that's the story that everyone knows. The chidush is, is that the guy that had gave the kaf's schut, the employee that worked for three years without getting parnasah, was Rabbi Akiva. Before he was Rabbi Akiva. He was just Akiva. And the guy that was the Baalabite was Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos, his rabbi, his future rabbi. And that's how Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos decided to take Akiva and make him a student and make him into Rabbi Akiva. Because he had good midot. 
And that's the same thing with Rachel, Rabbi Akiva's wife, saw in him. She saw he was taking care of the horse. He was treating him with respect and so on. So he said he has good midot. He has good character traits. We can build on this. We can build on this. So Hashem gave him the inclination to have good midot, good character traits, and have patience and so on. But he could have easily said, hey, you have land over here. I don't care about your business. Give me the money. I worked here three years. Give me money now. I'm killing you. Give me money now. I don't care about your business. I don't care about your family. I don't care about nothing. I worked for three years. I want money now. Bottom line. I don't care about your business. He could have done that. Hashem gives each one of us an opportunity. Each one of us was given a certain skill set, a certain amount of money, a certain amount of uh, tests. There's a certain amount of weight of tests that you're going to get every single day. What you do with it is up to you. But one thing that you could know is that before Hashem gives you the reward, He has to give you a test. Why? Because the reward is like a raise. Hashem wants to give you a raise. Hashem wants to give you a promotion. But before He gives you a promotion, He has to show off to all of the mekatregim, all of the ones that are fighting against you, and keep trying to remind Hashem that you're wicked because you made a sin here, you made a sin here, you made a sin here. He's like, look, look, look at my son. Look, he just, I just gave him a big test. He could have easily yelled at his wife. He didn't yell at his wife. He could have easily ran away and gave the guy only $10 stakab, but in reality, only gave, he gave him 100 He could have easily done this, but he did this. I gave him a test. He passed the test. He deserves a promotion. So Hashem is constantly fighting for you. He's constantly giving you an opportunity to win. Whether you win or not is up to you. That's your free choice. But the only chance, only chance that any one of us has to really win the, the test of life is by first and foremost reminding ourselves that everything is from Hashem and nothing is from us. There's many people out there that are fake humble. Fake humble. And we'll finish with this point. You could laugh about it a little bit at home. Sometimes I have people, they call me or text me or whatever, and at first they start with a whole resume of good mitzvot they did. I did this and I opened this and I did 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 this. By the way, I know everything is from Hashem, but if everything from Hashem, why do you feel the need to tell me this resume? Who am I, Bechad, are you telling me? So I had this happen to me the other day. This woman didn't really like one of the things that I said. Um, so she decided that she's going to send me, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 15 minutes worth of messages insulting me in every way possible. In every way possible, she was insulting me and telling me this and telling me that. I mean, whatever. Oh, Hashem, I, you know, Hashem blessed me to get this tikkun. But anyway, she was telling me, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. Whatever, all types of wonderful, wonderful compliments. She was giving me this, this woman. And, uh, but what, what got to this point? How do we get to this 15 minutes worth of insults? Is that she asked me a question and I gave her an answer, which is what it says. Answer based on Allah. She didn't like it. So she started bad-mouthing, you know, the uh, people that made this rule. The Torah that made the rule. They don't know this and they don't know this. Da, 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 and she went on a tangent. So my response to her, I'm like, listen, I understand that uh, you don't agree, but you should, uh, since the rabbi that you have right now is not going to tell you, I guess I have to, but uh, the entire 
response, the reason why this response is the response you have is because you have a lot of gava. You have a lot of pride. It's really ruining you. You should work on that. So instead of saying, oh, you know what, maybe, maybe this, she gave me 15 minutes worth of insults. But before, part of the insults was five minutes of it. The first five minutes was her telling me how great she was. And she did this, and she did this, and she did this, and she built this, and she started this, and this mitzvah, and that mitzvah, and I know about Yerat Shemaim, and I know about the Torah. I don't even know if you speak Hebrew, and I don't even know if you're studying. And, oh, and I'm actually sending you a message at 3 o'clock in the morning. You're probably sleeping. And I'm, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm up. I'm trying to better myself. So, I'm sleeping at 3 Right, so the point is that there's some, sometimes you have this fake humble. Fake humble is people that mention all of the mitzvot. They give you a resume of mitzvot. And then they finally remember to say, oh, no, no, that's all God though. Kavot to Hashem. Honor to Hashem. Honor to Hashem. You don't have to, if it's honor to Hashem, if you actually believe in Hashem, why are you mentioning anything? He knows. You understand? Any other questions? Wigs is a section of its own. Ken. Uh, Rabbi Yashiv was the one that... Uh, Confirmed, the Skenazi Rabbi is the one that confirmed that uh, wigs are coming from a uh, bad place. It's coming from Abu Dazara. It's coming from Abu Dazara, and it's uh, unfortunately, after the research that we did, we confirmed that uh, even though it's over a decade has passed since uh, this uh, research was done initially. Nothing has changed. The uh, 99% of the market, of the wig market for natural hair, for real hair, is coming from Abu Dazara. It's not coming from uh, any place good. So Rabbi Yashiv, uh, in essence, said that uh, one of the signs of the Mashiach is not going to be that uh, someone's going to make a rule and people are going to listen. It's that people are going to start waking up and see that it's all fake. There's no, uh, you know, this whole wig situation is all fake. You got to stop wearing it. There's a bunch of chidushim that I, have to, I can give you about wig, but I think it's kind of late. You guys probably want to go home. We'll, try, we'll leave this for next week. But in so many words, Rabbi Yashiv was the first one that uncovered the whole issue with wigs being a source of Abu Dazara and how you're not allowed to wear a wig, not then, not today, if, uh, you know, if it definitely if it's, not, if it's made from natural hair, uh, and definitely if it's not modest, even if it's not natural hair. He said that Mashiach, when, when, when women start fighting back, when the women are the ones that are causing other women to stop wearing wigs on large scale, not just one or two here and there, on large scale, he says you're going to see that the Mashiach is coming at that moment. So it's happening, Baruch Hashem. There was actually somebody that called me from, uh, uh, from uh, New Jersey, and he told his Ashkenazi, and he told me that uh, him and his wife listen to our uh, shulim all the time. They're very, very religious. They don't have YouTube or a computer or anything, but they listen to the CD, and then they listen to uh, the voice part of it, and they heard um, some of the things that I said about wigs, and Baruch Hashem, his wife, uh, decided to stop wearing a wig, and uh, now his uh, Ashkenazi wears a mitpachat, which is, believe it or not, very rare in the world. So Baruch Hashem... The people that are looking for the truth are finding it. The people that are looking for the truth are finding it. The people that are looking for excuses are also finding it. This is why the Vilna Gaon, Allah Shalom, said in his letter, Yigeret Agra, he told his wife, 
if the kids, when he left to go to Israel, he says, if the kids say bad things, they use Lashon Ara, they curse or anything, hit them. Hit them. And I'll tell you why at the end of the letter. So you're thinking at this point of the letter, oh, come on, hit the kids, can't talk to them, can't negotiate with them. If he said this in today's world, they kick him out of the Beknesset. So, the Gaon Mivilna at the end of the letter says, sometimes people have good midot and you can convince them by telling them the truth and they're looking for it. He says, but sometimes people have made so many sins that their heart is turned into stone. And the only way to get the water out of the stone is by hitting it. And this is why I told you to hit the kids. Because sometimes if they're using such foul language, if they're saying Lashon Ara, the only way they're going to do tshuva is if you hit them. You understand? This is why Ami said sometimes you, they do tshuva coming to lectures. Sometimes they do tshuva by going through surgeries. Sometimes they do tshuva by listening to a CD. Sometimes they do tshuva after they have to listen to some really bad news from somewhere in the family. So this is the answer to the question you asked me about the people that make excuses. The ones that make excuses, but they're really they're looking for the truth. Hashem will give them the truth because they're looking for the truth. But the ones that are looking, for, that are you know not looking for the truth, they're just looking to get out of it. They're looking to get out of the mitzvot. They're looking to get out of everything else. They say, listen, Shabbat, I'll keep Shabbat and I won't keep anything else. Then Hashem says, okay, that guy, I have to hit him. Why? Because his heart is made of stone. So that's what happens. Sometimes you see these asonot, these disasters that happen in the world, the different families, because something happened. Hashem has to wake us up, sometimes through beating us up. That's just a reality. It's a reality. You know, most people in this generation are not going to do tshuva in a nice way. They're not going to do tshuva in seminars, in CDs. They're not going to do tshuva that way. They're going to do tshuva after Hashem beats them up. That's just a real. My personal experience, I think that all of the rabbis that are forcing people to listen to Torah, you know, stories where everything is nice and Hashem loves you and you should have belief, you should have emunah, and everything is wonderful. Honestly, they've turned themselves into care bear rabbis. They've turned themselves into such nice people, such wonderful people, nobody does tshuva. They're so nice, no one wants to listen to them. They're so ni- Why? Because it's, they're giving you a care bear life. It's unrealistic what they're saying. That Hashem loves you regardless of what you do. That Hashem is going to reward you regardless of what you do. And everything is fine regardless of what you do. This is not true. This is a kfirah. This is against the Torah. This is, this is not real. And even the guys that are not keeping mitzvot listen to this stuff and they look at Judaism like it's ridiculous. Like even at work, I know that if I don't work, I'm going to get fired. Even in my home, I go home and I know if I yell at my wife, she'll throw me out. Even in the business world, I know that if I don't work, I don't get anything. So how is it that with God, there's no deal. I can just do whatever I want. The boss of all bosses, the king of all kings has no rules. How is it? Everyone else has rules for me. His creation has rules, but he doesn't have rules. I can just do whatever I want. He loves me regardless. So whether I'm Hitler, or I'm uh, Osama bin Laden, or I'm uh, somebody else, I can do whatever I want. 
Like, who said this? So this is, this is a disaster. This is the biggest disaster in our generation is that many rabbis have turned themselves into care bearers. Everything is wonderful. Everything is great. You know, it's anyone doesn't know Care Bears is from the 1980s. You guys are kind of young. It's a little cartoon. Go go on go go on the internet and uh, see. Type in Care Bears. It's like little teddy bears, and they had powers. They would throw out, you know little powers. You guys are so young. There's little powers. They would take out little little cute little teddy bears. So they're cute these rabbis, but nobody does tshuva. Nobody does tshuva. People go to the shiurim for 20 years, still mechale Shabbat. People go to the Beknesset for 30 years, still driving on Shabbat. Still eating taref on the Kiddush. They go to Beknesset, they do, they go home, they have Kiddush with Chazil. Why? Because the rabbi never told them the truth. Gave them an unrealistic, care bearer-like analogy of what life is like. And everyone knows it's, it's nonsense. It's, it's not true. It's just not true. So, I think it's important for people to know that it's not only their, the rabbi's responsibility to tell you the truth, it's also your responsibility to seek the truth. So if someone is seeking excuses, Hashem is going to send them a care bear rabbi. If someone is seeking the truth, Hashem is going to send them a rabbi who's going to tell them the truth. The only question is, does Hashem have to hit you to get the water out before He sends you the real rabbi? Hashem have to hit you first. If you're smart and you're listening to this, then you won't have to get hit. Why? Because you know already that it's all true. You know that everything I'm saying to you is true. It's all in the psukim. It's all in the Torah. It's all halacha. It's all basic level Judaism. Everything I'm telling you is true. You can verify. That's why I bring the books. So, if you're looking for the truth, here you have it. You're looking for excuses. You're going to end up putting harm on yourself. Because at some point or another, Hashem wants you to win. He puts you into the world to win. He puts you into the world to win. He's your favorite to win. He's putting you in a situation where He wants you to win. So if you're going to consistently put yourself in a situation to lose, Hashem is going to have to hit you a few times. He's not just going to let you go. Try to give you a few times, give you a few warnings, a few warnings. But if He stops giving you warnings, that's the worst sign of all. That means He gave up on you. And the Rambam says, the worst punishment you can get in this world is when Hashem gives up on you and He says, now you can't do tshuva even if you want it. Hashem gets to such an extent where He gets upset at somebody, it's hard to understand. He says that, uh, the Rambam says specifically, that there are certain people that He takes away their free choice and He does not allow them to do tshuva. does not allow them to do tshuva. So even though everyone has somehow a way to do tshuva, uh, Rambam says... There's certain people that Hashem does not want them to do tshuva and He actually continues to let them live so they can make more sins, so He can punish them even worse. Actually understanding this, uh, this, this from the Rambam is scarier than any Gainom I can tell you about. So, the beautiful part of the Torah is that each parasha gives us the secret. The secret to all of it is that you have to fight your Yetzirah. You have to fight the arrogance that you have in you that's causing you to sin. In this week's parasha, Ki Aloivecha, Chazal explained, Go to war against your enemy. Who's your enemy? Yetzirah. Yetzirah is your enemy. Arrogance is your enemy. Gava is your enemy. Your desires are your enemy. That's who your enemy is. Fight it, fight it, fight it. Non-stop, Bezat the Shem. Roll the Anything else? Yeah. Which one? 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 Which
So it's a Moshe uh, Rabbeinu. First off, as far as him being modest, the uh, Torah is testifying that Moshe was the most humblest man that ever lived, uh, highest prophet that ever we ever had. The only person that spoke to Hashem face to face. The Shechina spoke through his throat. So when he taught Torah, one of the questions is, how could he teach Torah if he if he stutters all the time? Imagine listening to a 10-hour shiur Torah with somebody stuttering. So the Shekhinah actually spoke through his throat. So when he taught Torah, he wasn't mumbling. He wasn't uh, stuttering. So even though he was so humble, he still knew where he stood. He still knew that he's the only one that spoke to God face to face. He's still the only one that spoke to God uh, while he was awake. Everyone else had to be prepared. Meaning that Moshe Moshe. Hashem would speak to him whenever he felt like it. No preparation needed. That's why he told him to leave his wife, Tzipoah. Because even though she was beautiful, she was a tzaddiket, she was great, she was wonderful, she gave him two kids, Eliezer and Gershom, everything was great. Hashem says, in order for you to speak to me, you have to be pure. And when you're with your wife, you become you know, become impure. So you have to go to the mikveh. I want to talk to you whenever I feel like it. So he's the only man that Hashem ever commanded for him to leave his wife because he wanted to talk to him whenever he felt like it. Everyone else had to go through a process. Hashem had to give them a, uh, you know, a message first. Prepare for me to talk to you on Tuesday. Prepare for me to talk to you on Thursday. Prepare for me to talk to you on such and such day. Like we know, for example, Bilam. Bilam Arasha would have to go to sleep in order for Hashem to talk to him. All of the other people would have to talk to Hashem through either meditation or epilepsy, or some type of other way where they're not fully alert. Whereas Hashem would talk to Moshe Rabbeinu, just walking, like, you know, just walking and Hashem's talking to him. No one else was able to handle that voice naturally like, like Moshe Rabbeinu was. So that's the uh, issue with, with, when it comes to that. When, when uh, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, was with Miriam and Aaron, one of the things I know is that Moshe was there, so he spoke to Moshe, so they, in, in essence benefited out of that regards. But I don't remember that he spoke to all, uh, uh, you know, to, he spoke initially to them, and then to him. It was two separate times, but either way, even if he spoke to all of them at the same time, Moshe Rabbeinu was there, so they in essence benefited out of it at that moment, but not on a regular level, regular base. Not on, a, not on a regular base. Every other time, he spoke to uh, Aaron and, uh, and uh, Miriam, either through meditation of some kind, or a dream, or something like that. You know what? I'm making a hammock as I'm well if I ask him. Oh. I, I see these people, like, they try to show off what they don't have. Like, they come in with, with a fake roll, like, give me six, come and chill, with like a Yeezy's on. And I know this guy has no money. Right. So, what, what, what kind of confidence does that give you? They can, like, try to show people that they're going to roll it to the way without their weapons. Well, first of all, if, if somebody, somebody that is trying to present themselves the way that they're not, I mean, already just to get started, you know, they're giving the world, both above and below, 
a billboard that's saying I'm fake. As fake as my watch is, so am I. That's that's you know why are you wearing a fake watch? You know why are you wearing a, you know why are you acting? Everything is fake. So that's first of all, it's sad. That means that their whole life is based on other people's opinion. And a person that you know is dependent on other people's opinion for him to build his own self-esteem is a very very sad case. It's a very sad situation, uh, simply because they're never going to be happy. If you try to make the world happy, you'll eventually realize that you can't make them happy. You can't make everyone happy. Some people will like you. Some people won't like you. Some people will connect to you. Some people will disconnect from you. So if you're constantly going to try to make the world around you happy, then you'll realize one day that eventually everyone around you may be happy except you. Except you. So all of those people that try to pretend that they're something that they're really not, it's very, very sad. The second thing that it creates is a problem for them in Shamaim is that in essence what they're saying is that they're saying that Hashem made a mistake, chas v'shalom, by not giving to them what they deserve. They think they deserve more. They don't, so they have to pretend like they have it. So this already shows that they're very, very disconnected from Hashem Barach. The third thing is, is that they're very, very materialistic because usually people that try to show off, they're trying to show off with material. Try to show off with cars, with houses, with girls, with uh, guys, with whatever, watches, all types of material, physical things. And the more material someone has or is connected to, the more you realize how disconnected they are from the purpose of life. So in essence, they could be living 70, 80 years, and in Shamaim they're saying, oh, what a purposeless life. Like this guy came to the world for no reason. The ant achieved more than he did. So this is very sad uh, you know, a sad case because a lot of people are living this life. A lot of people are in the world just filling up space. They're just taking up space, doing nothing. Uh, it's very sad. It's a, uh, you know, it's, it comes a time where they have to do tshuva and have to realize that you're never going to make everybody happy. You're never going to be liked by everyone. But it doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is for you to be liked by Hashem. If Hashem likes you, everything else works out. Shlomo Melech gives us a message. He says, If Hashem is happy with a person, even his enemy, Hashem sends his enemy to come say I'm sorry to him. When Hashem is happy with a person's deeds, he can get to such a point where Hashem will say to his enemies, go say I'm sorry. Well, I didn't do it. Yes, you did. I saw you. Yeah, but it's not nice. Go. Why? He's tzaddik. Go say I'm sorry. So that's how you know if, you're, if, if Hashem is happy for you. If you, have, if you have enemies lining up at your door saying, I'm sorry, you're doing good. I don't have that yet. I just gain new enemies every week. Amen <laughs> amen. Don't use that language. Don't use that language. You're in a Kodesh Kodeshim house.